everyone, it's John and John on Saturday night, March 3rd, and you're listening to We've Heard It Both Ways, the show where we take current events and topics of interest and talk about what's happening in today's world and circumstances that might apply to your daily life. Hey, John. Good hey. evening. Hey, man. How's it going? Uh, I've had better weeks, but you know, I'm getting through it. Yeah, it sounds like you had a little bit of a rough week. Yeah, so I got punched in the eye by a dog, my girlfriend's dog, scratched my cornea, and it's been a crappy week ever since. Sounds like you had it coming. Uh, I did take his toy, so you know, it might have been fair. Yeah. An eye for a toy. An eye for a toy. <laughs> Seems like a fair trade. I think that's, yeah, that's how the phrase goes, right? I, I believe that's correct. Yeah. What about you? How's your week been? It's been good. Nothing uh, crazy going on. We, uh, I recorded a pod, I uh, guest starred on my dad's podcast earlier today. Yeah, how'd that go? It went well. Uh, he, he does a, a very kind of small podcast for Southwest Ohio Swimming. It's really... Mm-hmm. A high swimming uh, is a really big sport in the state of Ohio, hmm. and uh, particularly at the high school level. And uh, he, he didn't. I, I, I do say. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. We both uh, participated <laughs> in that. He uh, he's very into that market, and sure. he runs. He does a podcast on high school swimming, and he had me on, and it, it went it went really well. We had a couple of coaches um, in the CHL from, from the Cincinnati Hills League mm-hmm. uh, on as well, and. Um, both of them were their teams were very Wyoming and Marymount. There, both mm-hmm. their teams were extremely competitive at the state meet, which actually just happened last weekend. Yeah, I saw the results from that. Yeah, very cool. So we were talking about that, and uh, it was funny. We had a little glitch earlier because I was setting up for the podcast, I was prepping the podcast, and the smoke detector in our studio started beeping, started going <laughs> off like the battery needed to be changed. Yeah, and I was like, "Well, crap! I'm gonna have to get." And uh, uh, for those of you who haven't been in our studio, the smoke detector is probably about. 16, 18 feet off the ground. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's really high in the air. It's a story and a half at least. Yeah, and I, and I don't have a, a ladder or anything to reach it, so I can't reach it, so I was going to have to contact the... Did you get on his shoulders? No, I did, we, did, we, did, we, didn't, we didn't try that. We didn't try that, but I was going to have to contact the, the guy who manages the bill, the property manager for the building, and yeah. uh, I couldn't get a hold of him. I couldn't get a hold of the emergency maintenance guy, so I was like, oh, crap, this is not going to go well. Mm. We're not going to be able to record, because every like 30 seconds, you get, get a loud beep. And uh, You don't think uh, listeners want to hear that? I don't think anyone wants to hear that ever. <laughs> you it's didn't the most annoying. <laughs> I didn't want to hear it, even just being there, not recording. Yeah, mm-hmm. It was so annoying. But then after maybe 10 minutes of prep, it just stopped happening. So nice. I'm hoping midway through this podcast, it doesn't start up again, because no one ever messed with it. Crap. So, knock on wood. <laughs> knock on wood. Get it. There we go. So... Anything else going on with you? Or? Um, just we're working, trying not to get sick. The weather has yeah. been crazy. We're still mid-flood season. We're still going through four seasons yeah. a week. Yeah, a lot of people have colds right now, and I'm fending one off. So okay. know, hopefully uh, between the eye and the cold, everything just manages itself. Yeah, hang in there with that cold. Yeah, I'm trying, bud. <clears throat> uh, so we've got a lot of... A lot of stuff happened this week. Yeah, yeah, some good news to talk about. We've got some, I would say we've got some good stuff and some bad stuff, yeah, well, but well, that's okay, pretty much so how to look at it. A lot of news, which is good that's, to talk about. Oh, right. You're <laughs> not saying not the, good news, not saying the news is necessarily No, good. probably not. I feel like every week I'm like, we've got good and we've got bad. Which, <laughs> which do you want to hear first? But, but uh, <laughs> Let's talk about the good first. I honestly, well, I don't know if there is good this week. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Um, honestly, if I had to rank... Trump, the Trump, the Trump administration's weeks. If I had to rank their weeks yeah. from like best to you know, like these mm-hmm. are the top ten worst weeks. Uh, you know, I'd have to go back and look at all of them, but yeah. I have to imagine I would have to rank this week 
probably in the top 10 worst for his administration so far mm-hmm. as, as, he's, as he's been since he's been president. Mm-hmm. It could even be top five. I don't know. It's been mm-hmm. really bad. I'd have to go back and, and, and look at everything that's happened and kind of add him up. He did multiple things this week that I was very unhappy with. Uh, right talked, up there with when they found out where he gets a spray tan to um, where he gets swings from. To that week where they found the grabbing by the pussy video. <laughs> Dude, did you ever did you ever see the video where he's getting on Air Force One and the wind blows and you can see like how bald he is? No, is it bad? You got to look it up, man. Like while we're recording this, you got to look it up. It's so funny. And I, and I, I you know, I. I feel like most guys lose their hair eventually, yeah. so it's not a big deal. But he, but uh, he covers it up. You know, he try he works really hard to try and cover it up. Well, I sent a Snapchat out of my forehead recently uh, with the caption, um, "Me talking to my hairline. Where are you going, buddy?" <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It's I'm only twenty six. That's funny, dude. I trust me, imagine. I know I'm losing hair like crazy, and I'm twenty six also. But. Something nobody tells you about when you're younger. <laughs> Hey you guys, guess what? I feel like your every, hair doesn't last forever. I feel like every young guy looks at a like when he's like in his like you know like high school, yeah. early college. He looks at like middle aged bald balding men. He's goes like that's never gonna happen. Yeah, to me. he's like oh that's it's like you're like, an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Turns out, but he was going up the steps at Air Force One, and it was like you know almost hurricane gusts of wind, like yeah. a little windy, and it blew up. And dude, he's super bald. And he just does a really good job of covering it up. But I can't give him too much crap because he's in his 70s. He's like 72 or something. So Trump is 72? Yeah. Oh, my God. Exactly. And when I'm 72... I think people forget. I don't know. But, dude, when I... I probably... I can't even be mad at him for not having a ton of hair at 72. I mean, he's got a lot still. Yeah. But, like, I probably won't even make it alive to 72. Dude, so. especially <laughs> considering, like, how bad his diet is. Like, oh, as yeah. a... As a, a healthcare professional, right, which is what I would consider horrible. myself. Oh my God! If, I, if my client told me they're eating burgers and drinking Coke every day, holy crap! KFC, good lord, KFC, Big Mac. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's good stuff, and like I'll have it every, maybe like every every third week, every the, once a the, month, something the, like that. But every week, like when, oh when my he God. When, the, when he did his physical. And the they they grilled the doctor for like an hour. Yeah, Trump was like, answer every question. You got to like show them because he was ruled healthy, and people were like, listen, we've seen his diet. I'm not buying it. How is he like being so healthy? Yeah, the doctor's doctors like, dude, I have no idea. The doctor's (laughs) basically like, it's genetics. The only reason he's not dead uh, with his diet and not exercising is because he's he just has great genetics. If he ate healthy, he could probably live to be like 110. By genetics, you mean a lot of money. (laughs) I don't know if that's what. No, I think he actually has gotten good, had good genetics, and that's why he he's healthy even despite his 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 diet. But genetics definitely play a role in it. But oh yeah. (laughs) The dude's pushing his luck at this point. I know. But the doctor said he's doing fine, but I don't know. But he did a bunch of stuff this week that was crappy I didn't like. He announced some tariffs that he wants to to implement in the next week or so. He openly attacked his attorney general, which, you know, is a problem. He There's all kinds of turnover problems at his White House. Tons of people are leaving or he's threatening to fire people. Well, yeah, it seems like every other week he's, you know, talking about yeah. getting rid of somebody. This week it was and almost... that's why we were talking about when we were talking about the FBI case about, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he'll manage that well and actually be willing to get rid of some people. But now it looks like his attention is turned. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but this week, uh, yeah, he, the turnover rate is really bad, but this week it almost seems worse than ever. He's also, I mean, yeah, I mentioned the tariffs. He's also talking about, 
he had a big meeting on guns, and he, he he said a lot of things that I think people who support the Second Amendment and who voted mm-hmm. for him are going to be really uneasy about. So there, there were a lot of issues. It this, seemed like a very uh, liberal approach to the mm-hmm. matter. He was saying a lot of things that a lot of... Um, a lot of liberal communities were like, oh, yeah, that's great. And I think some of the Republicans watching were like, dude, what what's the happening? Hell? Yeah, what the hell happened? Yeah. He's changing his tune all over again. Yeah, it was crazy. So a lot of stuff uh, happened this week. And, you know, let's let's get into it. Yeah. You want to yeah, start yeah. off with the tariffs? Is that a cool? <clears throat> yeah. Cool yeah. Thing? Yeah. So talking about the tariffs that he's um, imposing. So it's 25 percent steel. 25 percent on steel. Because it's a good number. 25 percent on 10% steel. 10 percent on aluminum. 10 percent on aluminum. Yep. So. Is that anything he, coming from outside of the United States? That's any th- any kind of steel or aluminum coming from the outside of the United States will now, for steel, if it, you're, it's a steel product, yep. it will be charged 25% extra of, right. the, of the normal cost mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. just to enter our country and 10% for aluminum. He doesn't understand trade at all. Really? I'm curious on... I'm, Johnny, listen, this is this is how obvious it is he doesn't understand trade. The guy who he's getting advice from on trade, who really doesn't know what he's talking about, he, that person who literally is one guy he's yeah. listening to on this stuff at this point, because so many people have left, he doesn't really have that many people to talk to anymore. Right. The guy he's getting his information on trade from recommended a 24% uh, tax, or tariff, basically tax on steel. Trump was like, oh, Trump, whatever, just make it 25. Trump said he wants it 25 because it's a cleaner, rounder number. Well, that doesn't that's not how you make policy based on Trump what the number Trump's, looks like. He's not wrong. It's a nice number. <laughs> 25 is, he's got that, is he's a got nice that number. Right. Yep. But you should not be making policy decisions based on how the numbers look. <laughs> I agree. Uh, but I'm curious uh how, what is I think a lot of people who didn't vote for Trump had reasons. They didn't vote for Trump? Yeah. Well, you didn't vote for Trump. No, I did not. Well, give me your top just Two reasons that you didn't vote for Trump, real quick. I've said the first one before. Yeah. I didn't want to be represented by a Cheeto. That's not a legitimate answer, Johnny. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> hold so you. Funny. I'm gonna hold you to that question. I want to. That is a funny answer. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but I want some real. Or there has got to be something that he was saying during the campaign where you're like, I have a problem with this. Trump was very anti-immigration, which I understand that there are some ways that we could make that better. But shutting off borders and shoving people out of our country is not a way to make ourselves better. Right. Um, so that was one of the major things that I really didn't appreciate. Okay. The other thing was just the way that he carried himself. I I know um, a lot of it is at a stage, and he's an actor, right? A, a lot of politicians have to play the role of being an actor for one reason or, an, an, or another. He really is a performer. Yeah, yeah, He perform, and he performs very well. But yeah, he does. I hated his performance, and the right. way he carries himself, the way he treats people, the way he would retort to things, the way he would answer questions, I couldn't stand it. And yeah, I, I just hated everything the way about like how he carried himself and how he treated other people. I think it shows a lot of someone's character, how they treat other people. And I hated all of that. I totally understand that. And I think your, your second answer was kind of my first answer. Mm-hmm. I was always brought up to believe the presidency is a very... It's a very important job. It's a very important position. It's the pinnacle of the I, United I, States for leadership. It's like you, there's a, uh, a ladder to climb in this country as far as jobs and wealth and everything goes. And I honestly, my entire life has thought, if you're successful, if you're hardworking, if you really succeed in this country, that is the ultimate goal to become president. Hmm. So I always held the office to a very high standard. I always thought, 
it needed to be a very high quality of character, high quality person to be in there. And I didn't think he lived up to it. Mm. I think a person that's present needs to be a certain intelligence and a certain type of character. And I didn't feel like he was living up to what was expected of the office. Any of that. Yeah. Didn't live up to any of that. And my, and also I was worried that he would really, I am very pro the conservative movement in certain aspects. Certain aspects of the conservative movement are very important to me. And I really thought he would bring a level of toxicity to the conservative movement that everything that was in the conservative movement would be associated with him and his behaviors. Mm. And I thought that was going to be bad for the conservative movement overall. So that was the reason, the first reason. Fortunately, I think he's alienated himself so far from either group. Like he could flip flop in any direction that I don't think his his actions are directly tied to the Republicans as a whole. But he, he is seems the, kind of alienated. But he is the leader of the Republican Party, and I think Absolutely. people on the left will definitely try to associate everything with the Republican Party, everything the Republican Party stands for with him, which I think would make the Republican Party look worse mm-hmm. based on some of the things that he says. So that was my first reason. My second— Well, they can certainly be blamed. They put him up there, so— in a way, I mean, the voters, <laughs> the Republican voters did yeah, in the yep. primary, um, mm-hmm. but only about 33, you know, about a third percent of the, a third of the Republican, you know, 65, 66% of the Republican Party did not vote for him in the primaries. Um, it's good but, to know the majority but, have a brain. But that's a, com- yeah, but, but that's a, so that's the first reason. The second right. reason was I was very anti the things he was saying on trade. His trade policy is garbage. He was constantly talking during the campaign about the tariffs he wanted to implement. And I understand, because I have a basic understanding of economics, Mm -hmm. that tariffs are bad for a country's economy. And I knew the kind of tariffs and the kind of trade policies he wanted to implement. And I had a very big problem with it. And I don't agree with it. Donald Trump on tariffs and trade, he has the exact same policies as Bernie Sanders. And I do not think either of them know what they're talking about. Uh, on these economic policies, and that was one of the things that concerning. really like shoved Bernie out, wasn't it? Because people were talking about some of his how radical some of his economic policies were. Yeah, and, they were and like, that this and, will never work. And this policy, these trade policies of Donald Trump are also radical, and they're not good policies. Not and I was very concerned about it. Um, and of course, you know, I've been pretty happy with how he's governed as a president so far. But here we are, you know, what 15, 14 months in. Yep, and the trades and, are rearing their ugly and heads. Here we go, and he announced this week that he wants to implement these tariffs. I could not be more disappointed that he that he made this announcement. I mean, he hasn't implemented anything yet, but he's basically said he's going to. He's essentially- But look at the cost, immediate stock drops. Immediate drops in, in steel and aluminum. Yeah, stocks this week. He has over even, a thousand points, wasn't it? He hasn't even. Yeah, he hasn't even implemented the policies. Just his announcement that he might do it. The stock market dropped a thousand yep. points over the last five days. It's it's crazy. Um, starting a trade war despite what the president says, is not a good idea. It's a bad idea. Donald Trump can say as many times as he wants that a trade war is good and that it's easy to win, but it's it's not true. Trade wars are bad. They hurt everyone. And because they hurt everyone, they're not easy to win because no one wins. Right. Both both countries or all countries that get involved in a trade war are going to be hurt by it because trade is is reciprocal. Trade benefits both sides. That's the whole point of trade. Right. And it's not like anybody's coerced into doing it. This is macroeconomics 101, right? Right. One country is efficient at making this product. Another com- another country is very efficient at making another product. And they trade mutually to the benefit of both of them, right, based on their strengths. And to say, like, oh, okay, now I'm going to charge you a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. for my people who want to buy that. What sense does that make? What I don't understand. Why, the reason I don't understand why he's doing it is tariffs, what tariffs really are, they're essentially placing taxes. So if the U S implements a tariff, it's essentially placing a tax on its own people. Mm-hmm. If there's a, a product coming into the U S from a foreign country, we're paying 
$100 for the product. Yeah, it could be very And cheap. you put a 25% tax on that, you're now paying $125 for that same product. Right. Uh, and that's a very that's not complete uh, that's not a complete uh, well, breakdown paying, of it that's paying, a very simplified version yeah, of how tariffs work you're paying work. 100 to them because you're right? actually going to probably because you're actually going to probably end up paying to the government because you're probably actually going to end up paying more than 125 mm-hmm. because the tariff snowball because each person who makes a so if just pure steel is coming into the country yeah there is a there is a there is a uh, a hike of prices at each step of that sale. So the c- company that buys the the mm-hmm. steel, the raw material, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to charge whoever. Okay, so whoever buys the raw material, yeah, they, they have, have to pay twenty five percent more. Right. If they're selling it to a company who wants that steel to mm-hmm. make whatever product, that company has to raise their prices because the other person they bought that from right, raised their prices. It for us more. So and, and, and every single person who inter- interacts with that, whatever that product is or whatever that product or mm-hmm. that raw material results in, every step of the way they have to up those they have to up those rates. They have to hike and, those yeah, prices. Yeah, and when you look at different industries that are relying on steel, that permeates through yes. basically the entire any, United States. Any industry that deals with any kind of steel or aluminum at all. Right. And all of their employees and all their all of the people who their employees are customers of Right, and by that extension, you know, yes, exactly, five points away or something. You, this is basically everybody at this point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's funny. But then also inside trade. So this is making outside sources harder to get, which limits the resources we have within our country. So anybody who's producing the raw material in the United States automatically gets to charge more for what they're doing. And right, I'm playing around with this theory, but I feel like that might be Trump's plan. He big tax cuts for major companies, right? So yeah. the uh, trickle-down economics, which should be referred to as supply-side economics, but you know he's supporting that. And then also, he's giving these people within the United States steel industries, the bigwigs at least, are going to at least keep top dollar or maybe earn more. And I think this might be furthering that supply-side economics so that they can start buying and doing more and innovating with that steel. That's just a theory. Why do you think those steel companies are going to make more money so they're the able tariffs. to yeah so more people are going to rely on what's inside the united states right mm-hmm. and so the steel companies in the united states can charge more for it right now they're working with a limited amount of can material. i can i interject real quick yeah. you said they're going to charge more for it i think the reason they're going to charge more for it is because if they're relying more on american companies that means more of the products are going to be made by American workers. They're, mm-hmm. re- they're relying on the American companies more. That means they're relying on their workers more. Mm-hmm. I think Trump wants that because he's thinking, oh, if they're relying on the American companies more, they're going to hire more workers to to meet the demand. And that's what he wants to do is create more jobs. But the problem is... There's only just so much because- material in the United States. Most of what we make in the United States in the steel industry is recycled. Recycled but, and repurposed steel. Right. But just be- my whole point is just because you make more jobs... He's he's basically trying to artificially make it so that more jobs are required than they are, mm-hmm. and by re- doing that, sure, you're gonna rec- you're gonna I think you're going to increase the number of steel jobs in the country by doing this because the demand has to come from the the comp- the, the American steel companies and they need more workers. I don't know if that's necessarily true here, here, because if here, I'm a business, let owner me finish and, my let me yeah, finish yeah, my point yeah. and then you can you can kind of uh, <clears throat> uh, counter it. Mm-hmm. My thing is he's thinking if there's more demand, that's re- uh, you know dependent on the American companies. The American companies are going to have to hire more workers to meet that demand. Mm-hmm. That's his goal. That's Trump's goal. Sure. The problem is, if you're using more American workers to make the same amount of product, American workers make a lot more than workers overseas. The big problem with tariffs is to 
pay these employees to to create these new steel industry jobs and to, to pay these new employees, you're going to have to charge a lot more for your product right. because American workers make more money. So you have to jack up your prices to pay those employees. And you have to jack up your prices because if you're not going to hire more employees, which I think is kind of what you're getting at, mm-hmm. they might just pay. They say, hey, it's going to cost us more money to hire these American employees to make to make the steel yeah. products yeah. as opposed to just paying the tariff. So they might not even they might not even hire new employees. They might just say, "Screw it, we're going to pay the tariff because that's going to save us more money in the long run than hiring additional employees." Yeah. But if they're going to just pay the tariff, they're making less money as a company, so mm-hmm. they're going to have to jack up their rates of their product so they can still make money. And what that means is the American people are going to have to pay more money for that product. I agree. Now, none of these companies are just going to take the hit and be okay with it. Any decent business owner is going to look at this and say, "Okay, how do we save our bottom line?" What I think is a good possibility of happening is that the people who are creating and reusing and uh, making steel products reusable in the U.S., I think what they're going to do is they're going to push the limit with their current employees. It takes a lot to train and bring on and innovate new ways to run your company to fulfill these maximum quantities that might influx after the tariff, right? Because people won't be going outside so much. They'll be staying in and they're going to try to get as much of the non-tariffed product out of the United States. If I'm a good, you know, if I'm a business owner, I'm looking at this as an opportunity to say, hey, I'll offer you guys bonuses, but we're going to keep our current employed staff and we're going to see if we can ramp up production to meet these needs. And I'm going to do that till we're at absolute max capacity for what we've already got and what the people we have are capable of. And then after that, that's the cap. And if you want to go outside of the U.S. and you want to pay the tariff, go for it. This is, you know, we're at maximum capacity. You can get on a wait list. We're going to charge a little bit more. We're going to put all of our people into maximum overdrive with production. Um, and then, you know, they might see a little bit of increase, but I don't think it's going to be this great influx of jobs that Trump is hoping for. I yeah. just don't see that happening. Because and I, a good business owner is going to lean that out to get as much from it as possible and then only add where is most profitable. Yeah, I don't really see uh, the the mass increase in jobs either, the way kind of you're, what you're going at. And that's mm-hmm. tariffs really couldn't be a worse economic policy because the, the whole goal of the tariff is to increase jobs. The problem is you're not guaranteed you're going to increase jobs. Mm-hmm. You might not. You might increase a few, but you also might not, depending on the policies of the company, kind of like you were just saying. Right. But what you can for sure count on, whether you increase jobs or not, is that products in America are going to go up in cost. Yeah. You might help a couple people out. And if if he's looking at supply side economics and he's really trying to drive up the top end for some of the steel companies in the U.S., I think he's doing a good job. And and I'm, I'm like just I'm within myself just trying to rationalize. And I hope that there's a path and order that Trump is going towards. I'm kind of assuming that by even bringing up supply-side economics with the tariffs and the steel. Uh, but that's an assumption that I would really have to, I think in the future, we'll see if that plays out. Yeah. That's I have my some, 2018 prediction. I have some really, <laughs> <laughs> I have some really, and, and the, it, he really, Trump really is stuck in like 1930s economics when it comes to this issue. Cause we know tariffs don't work. We've tried them before they, and they, they don't. I have actually some really interesting stats here mm-hmm. on tariffs and why they're ineffective. George W. Bush, oh, back right. when he was president, he implemented uh, his own steel, his own steel tariffs. Yep. And uh, he only implemented them for, implemented them for two years years because they were so bad and they were hurting the economy so so much he decided to get rid of them but just during the two years that he implemented his steel tariffs the united states of america lost two hundred thousand jobs oh my god because the tariffs were so bad uh the economy overall suffered uh and they said during bush's tariff years 
the for every steel uh, every job every American steel job that was created, it cost the American consumers somewhere between two hundred thousand and two point three million dollars in 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 increased price of products. So if, yeah, you're creating jobs in the steel industry, but you're costing jobs in under in other industries, other industries that are reliant on steel, who now have to pay a lot more money for the steel products and for the steel materials, mm-hmm. and you're increasing, you know, prices for Americans. In that in that case, it was from two hundred thousand dollars to two point three million. That's not an overall uh, net positive. And another stat is uh, President Obama implemented a tariff on tires. I don't. I think it was either rubber or it was t- rubber tires. I think it was just tires in okay. general. But any tires coming in from foreign countries, he put a tariff on them. Mm-hmm. And because of the tariff he put on them, he the auto industry lost twelve thousand jobs because they had to spend so much more money on tires. They're making so much less money. They had to cut jobs. Mm-hmm. And Obama only implemented that for like eighteen months or two years himself, and he cut it because it was it was doing so badly. All tariffs that are implemented end up being cut because they're so bad. And the 1930 tariffs that were implemented, I forget the product they were put on, but the, there was a lot of economic evidence and a lot of economic scholars made the argument that the tariffs implemented in 1930s led, to the, Great led to the Great Depression and exacerbated and made the Great Depression go on longer than it should have. Hmm. Tariffs are not a good thing. Yeah. Every time it seems to be a bad move. Yeah. I remember reading about Hoover and um, Reaganomics, right? Those mm-hmm. are classic tariff examples that people like to use to say, hey, we've tried this. <laughs> look at history, folks. Like, this doesn't work. Just look at every time we've tried it and see if it works out. Tariffs are like socialism. Every time they've been tried, they'd failed. And yet everybody forgets. And everyone loves them for some reason who are kind of on that Bernie Sanders side of economics. But they're into time, tariffs. But they're this into time the, it could be perfect. It could be utopia This with these time tariffs. it might just work. Here's <laughs> another example. Earlier in his presidency, I almost forgot about this. Earlier in his presidency, Donald Trump implemented a tariff on Canadian lumber. Apparently the, the American lumber industry is really suffering. A lot of our lumber was coming in from Canada. He put a large tariff on it. Now, Johnny, we have a giant shortage of lumber in this country. The tariffs don't work. They're not effective. And I, uh, I remember... Uh, I can't even find firewood. They, they said... Oh, <laughs> I can't even start a fire in my backyard. <laughs> what is this? I thought this was a free country. So it's not a free Because <laughs> I can't have a fire. I don't have my Canadian lumber fire. It really is a problem for every mm. one steel job that is affected by these tariffs. Yeah. 45 jobs in every, 45 jobs, sorry, 45 jobs in other industries will also be affected. Mm-hmm. So you will be improving. So for every one job you improve in steel, mm-hmm. you're going to make things worse for 45 other jobs in different industries. And you were talking about that number about um, every every job that was increased in the steel industry cost the U.S. $200,000, Yeah, uh, you know, through different um, expenses for other products. The average steel worker in today's world makes about $80,000, yeah, right? I remember true. a company publishing that. Yeah. In 2014, that was probably even less. Mm-hmm. So there's some disparaging number of at least $120,000 that's just... Going, where's that going? Is that going to the government? Is that being put to good use? It's funny you say that because you mentioned you mentioned. Um, sorry, what was this? The one hundred twenty thousand dollars, the two hundred thousand dollars that it cost the U.S. to create these jobs for every single one 
steel industry job. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry. We're having a little, having a couple of technical difficulties there. Right. Uh, just trying to, I'm, I'm, it's hard to be the producer and uh, be <laughs> star of the show. I'm, oh, oh. I'm putting you on my back, Johnny. I thought I was the star. <laughs> That's what you think. That's, yeah, I just keep telling you that so you keep coming back. <laughs> That's how you know he's a good producer, folks. That's right. Everyone's a star. <laughs> <Just get> to... <laughs> yeah, but the it, it, jobs will be lost in the car industry. Jobs jobs will be lost in any kind of industries that that use these products. Mm-hmm. The aluminum industries, a big big companies that use aluminum, beer companies. <gasps> I put. I know. <laughs> I'm literally drinking a beer right now out of aluminum can. I'm drinking. I posted on Facebook that I'm gonna try and drink as much beer this weekend as possible because next <laughs> weekend, because next weekend beer is gonna be more expensive than it was this weekend because beer uses aluminum. This is not dilly dilly. This <laughs> is not what we're here for. Yeah, no, this is not dilly dilly at all. <laughs> Pre- uh, Donald Trump to the pit of misery. <laughs> dilly dilly. He's sending the entire U.S. there. Yeah, he's sending the whole U.S. to the pit of misery. Anybody he, who voted for him that drinks beer should be very pissed. He off literally right just, now. and that's a lot of his voters pay, drink beer. I think <laughs> so. He just, uh, he just made everyone basically pay more for beer. I think they were drinking beer on the way to the voting booth. Yeah, yeah. Everyone who, who uh, he Donald Trump just made it for everyone who drinks beer in this country. He just made it more expensive, and, and it's not just beer. It's any kind of company that um, you know uses that kind of any kind of product that yep. you know any products that are used with that. But it's funny you mentioned that eighty thousand dollars is the average. Uh, salary of someone in the steel industry $80,000 a year for a salary is a lot of money it's pretty damn good yeah you're doing very well which is funny that, 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 that they're doing so well because Donald Trump keeps saying he's doing these tariffs because the steel industry is struggling they're not struggling yeah they're doing really well <laughs> doing better than the fitness industry <laughs> uh yeah they're doing better than the industries were in yeah. <laughs> But uh, it's, yeah, the largest uh, steel manufacturer in the U.S., their profits increased by 65% in 2016. Wow. Their business went 65%? up. 65%? The money they made, the oh amount of money God. they made in 2016 went up by 65%. That's, that's through the roof. Yeah. My company, I work at a Fortune 500 company. If our profit margin goes up by like 3% a year, we're happy. Yeah. We're very happy with that. And these are not small companies either that are seeing massive increases. Yeah. Uh, in their revenue, this, the companies that the companies that's making sixty five percent increase that's a company who is already making like tens of billions of dollars a right, year. Right, like they're not they're not struggling at all. Well, that year of the two hundred thousand dollars a job, it was up until like um, what was one hundred thirty three billion in I, the in, in the industry that year. Right. Yeah, yeah. That, that sounds accurate. In twenty fourteen, the steel industry did one hundred thirteen billion dollars of uh, of. Um, business yeah so the u.s steel industry they produced 90 million tons of steel last year yeah that's up five percent in steel production from the year before so not producing less steel and 70 almost 75 percent of all all the steel consumed all the steel used in this country 75 percent of it is produced in this country Mm -hmm. so this amount of steel he's taxing it's most of it's not even coming from this country it's not like only 20 percent of the steel used in this country is coming from america no Mm -hmm. the steel industry is doing really well it doesn't make any sense for him to be doing this the the united states of america is still the number two producer of steel in the world competing with china and who else uh, I mean, I'm not sure all of the, con- the countries that are like the top steel okay. producers. I know China is one of them. There, yeah, there, there's, there's, but there's a lot of countries that produce steel, but we're still the number two producer. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's not like we're you know, at a loss for steel production. We're, <laughs> we're doing all right. Yeah. That's why these – and forget all the economic aspects of, and reasons why it's bad to implement these tariffs. Common sense says these, the steel industry is doing really well. Why are you going to punish – 
American people by increasing prices to try and help the steel industry when they're already you know succeeding they're doing great it'll be interesting to see like after these percentages of tariffs are put on what's the percentage of increase in the products uh, that we see i think that will have a direct correlation Price-wise. yeah so like 75 percent of the of the steel in the u.s is is already made in the u.s will it be interesting to see you know with the 25 percent tax on outside sources what kind of what kind of price change will that actually make in the market yeah it'll, it'll be, be interesting to see if it reflects uh, you know, the same way. Mm-hmm. It'll also be interesting to see if that 75% fluctuates. It'll be, um, it'll be, sig- yeah, it'll be significant. The, uh, the changes in prices we see, mm-hmm. it won't be insane. It depends on the product. I don't too. think, I mean, I, so, you know, the more expensive your product is, the more of a jump in price you're going to see as far right. as, um, percentage goes, or, right. or I should say as far as overall dollars goes. So if you're, Paying twenty thousand dollars for a car normally, you might have mm-hmm. to pay twenty five thousand dollars now. Mm-hmm. Five thousand dollars is a big jump. You're paying six fifty for a six pack of, of beer, six pack of Coors Light. You know, free plug. <laughs> look, look, look into sponsoring us. <laughs> if you pay six fifty for a six pack of Coors Light, now you're probably like gonna pay. 850. Now you're probably gonna pay like seven fifty or something. Yeah, eight dollars. Eight dollars. And then that's not as a big of an increase in. And overall dollars amount is like a car, but that's because the, the the products cost for different. As much as but you're gonna like, see increases yeah, in prices. Yeah. For as much as we don't like math, we're getting very mathy in a lot of our topics on the show. I know. We might have I know. To get we, every time, every single time <laughs> we get into it, I'm like, what are we doing? God. But the overall takeaway from this policy is Trump is basically saying the solution to economic problems in the country is to make Americans spend more money on products. Hmm. Spending more money on products doesn't make you richer. It doesn't make you better off financially. It actually does the opposite. It just costs more. Yeah, it takes more of your yeah, it money. It takes away. more of you. It's yeah. not a good policy. It, something that, <clears throat> excuse me, something that he said that was really uh, cracking me up. He said a country in one of his speeches about the steel and about the tariffs. He said a country we need steel. We need to be have producing all the steel because without producing steel, without steel, a country isn't a country. So. <laughs> So apparently someone needs to go tell Switzerland they're not a country anymore because they produce zero steel and they get all their steel from outside countries. So apparently Trump needs to call up the president of Switzerland and be like, hey, you're not a country anymore. America, America does not recognize you. I have a feeling they will be absolutely <laughs> devastated. They'll be like, what? You want to <laughs> you, you use our banks, right? Oh, yeah, we're a f- country. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's steel that hold up our banks. We're fine. Yeah. But really, he re- I think Trump's going to start a trade war doing this. He Or he easily... You know, could start a trade war because a lot of times, if you raise tariffs on products coming from other countries, they raise tariffs on products coming from your country. Who's the target of this war? Who's our <laughs> enemy? I don't understand this. We don't have an enemy because there's no enemies when it comes to trade. Trade is reciprocal. Every country benefits from trade. I would say Trump's argument would probably be every country besides America is our enemy when it comes to trade, which is the literally dumbest and opposite like opinion and approach you can take to the issue. I, I think we call that capitalism. It is what it is. Like it's free trade. Like you're yes. supposed to be able to do these things. So Trump keeps saying that he wants free. He does. He wants free trade. He wants fair trade, and he wants smart trade. You can't have all those things together. It's either because fair trade means you're basically manipulating trade to make it more fair for your country in yep. your eyes. Yep. Manipulating the trade to make it fair, quote unquote fair. That's not free. Right. Because free. Means whose definition? Free Who means you're not means. exactly free trade means that no one is artificially manipulating it to change it. It's just 
whatever you think your product is worth and whatever we're willing to pay for it and that's what or whatever products we're willing to trade with each other for I mean that's what determines it it's it's the market not a country saying this is what's what right and it's that's not the that's a very or the president deciding it's a very it's a thin line that you really don't want to cross because when we get into countries manipulating economies we're talking borderline socialism marxism we need to stay away from that right yeah i agree 100% yeah so i'm hoping a trade war isn't started because trade war you know donald trump said trade wars are good and they're easy to win they are neither of those things they're really bad they're really bad for everyone uh, I think you say who's the enemy. Yeah. I don't think, we, like I said, we don't have an enemy when it comes to trade. But I think Donald Trump, if he was trying to sell an enemy, if he was trying to sell one, he would mainly attack China. Hmm. Uh, it's Well, because they're our major competitor. As far as? Well, in the steel industry, mm-hmm. they're, they're definitely a high producer of steel. I think they are also one of our major competitors just as far as being the number one superpower in the world goes. Yeah. So well, I think yeah, he looks at them power, as a threat that sure. way, e- economically, militarily, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. every aspect of it, as far as overall power in the world, they are, it's basically America and China and Russia thinks they're up there, but they're, they're really not. They're just in there with their social media presence. Mm-hmm. Their hackers are pretty solid. <laughs> I've heard. Uh, but th- there's really no evidence to suggest that this is actually being done to target China. China's not really doing anything as far as trade. They're not hitting us in any be- in, in any way. China's not even in the top. Actually, uh, China's they're they're big on on steel, but China's not even in the top ten of steel importers into the U.S. So there were nine countries ahead of China as far or sorry ten countries ahead of China as far as who's sending the most steel into our country. Yeah, it's just a so hot you, topic, and they're so really, easy to make it's a easy, target. It's easy to make them the bad guy, but yeah. they're not the bad guy. And this, they're not even the top 10 steel importers for our country. Yeah, it totally we, does not need to be a focus. And America um, already has 160, quote-unquote, unfair trade duties against China. We have tariffs on other products that, they're for, that they bring into our country. So mm. it's not... You know, it's not really a, a legitimate argument. And saying you're doing this because you want to hit China because China's been unfair to you, no, China is not going to be negatively affected by these these tariffs. It's going to negatively affect the American people, the American consumers who are now paying more money for products. Mm-hmm. It's not going to hurt China. But- it might. It, it, the only thing that it might hurt them as is as far as much as we are able to produce within the United States. You know, when when we meet that capacity, which we're probably pretty close to already, right? Because we're, I mean, any good company is going to produce as much as they can for the right price. This influx is going to make, force them to produce a little bit more. But then, you know, any any more that we produce in here, that would be taking away from China. And I think that's the goal of it, right? Is to say, hey, we're going to make your stuff a little bit more expensive so people buy more internally. Which would create more jobs in his mind. Right. That's, I mean, that's the only plan. That's the only way that I see this plan taking effect um, in his mind, right? Now, to say if that's going to work or not, who knows? It, it won't work. If the steel industry is already at capacity, then this isn't going to help us very much. I mean, there's only so much raw material and stuff that we can recycle in the U.S. So he really, on the other hand, I'm, this is, I'm just thinking mm-hmm. out loud, this could force innovation within the U.S. steel industry to be able to find ways to recycle more efficiently. But I don't think that happens immediately. That's something that's going to take a while. And we would probably take a hit to the industry before that helps. So, so uh, Donald Trump's big thing, his big, one of his big talking points on this is that there are, we have trade deficits with China. Mm-hmm. We're getting killed on trade. We're getting killed on trade by not just China, but with a bunch of countries. We have trade deficits. 
What a trade deficit basically means is that, and on a certain trade, mm-hmm. on certain trades, another country has made more, quote unquote, made more money off the trade than you. So if we give China $10 billion for iPhones, for $10 billion worth of iPhones that they've been making over there, we are now at a $10 billion trade deficit with China because they got, they gained $10 billion and we lost $10 billion. And that's basically Donald Trump's argument. But that doesn't take into account the fact that we didn't just lose $10 billion. We got $10 billion worth of iPhones in exchange. Right. We got a resource. So the that's whole trade. Exactly. <laughs> that's so trade it, exactly. That's why he, it's so ridiculous. He doesn't understand this at all. Just because you, they have a $10 billion trade, they've gotten a trade, a $10 billion trade deficit increase on you doesn't mean that you haven't gained anything out of the whole situation because you have. And those $10 billion of iPhones that we've gotten, we're going to sell those in America for higher prices and they're going to make money off of it. It's not bad for the country just because you have a trade deficit. Right. Trade surpluses or in, trade deficits do not represent whether um, it, it doesn't represent whether a country has, is doing well economically or not. Just because you have a trade deficit doesn't mean you're doing bad. Just because you have a trade surplus does not mean you're doing well. Venezuela, one of the worst countries in the world right now, is you know as, mm-hmm. as all conditions can go, but specifically with economics, Venezuela is the, one of the worst countries in the world right now. They have a, a great trade surplus because no one in Venezuela has any money to buy products outside of the country because they're all poor. They have to sell out of the country so that they get money. All they can do is to ex- get anything. all they have to do all they can do is export because they can't import because they don't have any money to pay for. Mm-hmm. So Venezuela has a trade surplus, which basically is what Donald Trump is saying China has on us, mm-hmm. and we have a deficit. Just because you have a deficit or a surplus does not mean you're doing well or bad either way, because Venezuela has a surplus and they're doing horribly. Is there so if a country has like continuous deficit in a majority of their markets? Does that mean all of the money that they're, they're producing is just leaving? And is that a bad thing if raw goods are being stored up, you know, within the United States? That's uh, right. Very- so we're, we're trading raw goods for money, mm-hmm. right? We're getting yeah. these raw goods in return. If that happens continuously and we keep accumulating raw goods, but keep expending all of the dollar amounts, is that what he's worried about? Well, the raw goods that first off, the raw goods that you're bringing in, a lot of things are done with those raw goods that improve our economy. Mm-hmm. Let's say let's st- let's stick with the iPhone idea. iPhones are being bring in, bring, being brought into the country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The iPhones are then be able to be purchased because they're being manufactured in, a, in outside of America. Oh my God, that's so bad. They're stealing our jobs because iPhones are being manufactured outside of America. People like you and I can pay one fifty, two hundred dollars for an iPhone instead of a thousand dollars for an iPhone. Right. And because and think about it, a small business owner who is running a business and he doesn't want to, he's not going to do a cash register. He's just going to do one of those little white swiper things that you use on on an iPhone. Yeah. Now he's able to more efficiently and more and cheap more cheaply mm-hmm. process payments and run his business. Things like that. When you bring in products like that, it's going to increase your economy in positive ways. But another thing is, every dollar that we're sending overseas in exchange for products, those dollars are eventually going to be coming back to the Ameri- to America 
in forms of investments in American stocks, mm-hmm. in American mm-hmm. companies, all kinds of things like that. And there's going to be products that we produce here that they're going to use the money we send to them that they're going to send that money back to buy some of our products. Right. Trade helps both sides. And Donald Trump really looks at economies and trade as a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. He thinks if America is going to do well on something economically, another country has to do bad. If America is going to do well on trade, another country that we're trading with has to get has to do bad in some way. That's not how trade works. Yeah, that's remarkable. The, I mean, just economy in general is built on specialization. You're really good at making something. I'm good at making something else. We can trade goods and services. That's the whole point. I'm not gonna be. I, I'm not a plumber. I'll never be a plumber. But I could get a plumber in shape if he, you know, fixes my toilet every once in a while because yeah. I might wreck it. If if you buy, if you go to a grocery store mm-hmm. and you buy groceries from that store, you spend a hundred dollars on groceries. You're at a trade deficit with that store because those dirty store owners. Because yeah, exactly, dirty store owners. Because you spent, give them money. And you got products in, re- in return. And they mm-hmm. have a def- there's a deficit because they have more money and you have less. But you got something out of it. That was mm-hmm. like you said earlier. That's a voluntary transaction. Right. And you gain something. Me. Yeah. And you gain something from it. Something very important to you. Mm-hmm. But because there's a deficit there and you, this company, this co- that, uh, company, that grocery store is taking more money than you're getting, are you going to basically say, screw these guys. I'm going to go to a different company to punish them. And because I'm going to that different company, I'm going to pay more money for groceries, which is no. basically what tariffs does. No, the only reason that would stop is if do. I found a better price somewhere else. Yeah, it doesn't make... Exactly. And that's what capitalism does. It creates right. competition, which right. drops prices. Which is very healthy. Yeah. If a, if a country we're trading with, if China, for example, we're trading with them, and they put a 50% tariff on one of the products we're exporting... Mm-hmm. And the, the, often the natural thing for people who believe in what Trump's doing is to say, well, they're putting a 50% tariff on our product. We have to put a 50% tariff on another product that they're putting into our country. Right. And that's what a lot of other countries are threatening to do. Exactly. Because it's because it's stupid for us to do that. Right. That's the quote unquote just, war. Exactly. And it just escalates because it's like, well, I have to react because if otherwise my people. Are, so the whole point is if China is putting a 50% on one of the products from our country going into theirs. They're going to do the same. It's not hurting us. If they're putting a 50% tariff on something, one of our products coming into mm-hmm. China, it's the Chinese people who are going to have to pay more money for that product. Right. So why would we, if China's going to put a 50%, going to make their citizens pay more for products, why would our response naturally be to make our citizens pay for more products? It doesn't make sense. And uh, Trump doesn't understand trade, and it, it's, it's really upsetting. And just a final point, uh, this, this has been so bad, and we're going to get to the turnover in the Trump presidency and the Trump administration a little bit later, mm-hmm. but his top economic advisor right now, um, I, I think it's Gary Cohn, his last name's Cohn, okay. he basically said, he's just one of the only few guys in Trump's inner circle right now, he basically said, Mr. President, if you implement these tariffs, I'm going to resign. Because wow. it's such a bad economic policy, and he's an economic guru, guru, and he's like, this is not a good policy. This is bad, this is bad politics. So he's dissing this the last is, people on his side. Economics. Yeah. So, that was bad Trump this week. <laughs> bad Trump. Another bad Trump. Did you see this meeting Trump had on guns at the White House? Uh, explain. So, he, Donald Trump had a meeting at the White House this week, and he talked about guns. And it was mm. basically an open session meeting. It was televised. There were reporters there. Bunch of Democrats, bunch of Republicans met together. And the, the, the idea was basically, let's talk about guns. Let's yeah. come up with some solutions. This is very rare. It's hard to get, you know, and we're talking like far right, far left gun issue people mm-hmm. in the same room together talking. It doesn't happen very often. No, it's, it doesn't. And uh, so I was pretty impressed with that. 
But the meeting did not go very well. Uh, if you're someone who believes, if you're a strong supporter of the Second Amendment, the meeting did not go well. Right. He was taking a more liberal approach. He took to a, a much more. He took a much more liberal stance on a lot of issues. You could actually see it in the faces of the people in the meeting. He was saying things as far as gun control goes that were you could actually see smiles cracking, like people being gleeful on the liberal side mm-hmm. of the aisle and Dem- and Republicans who were in the meeting were like covering their face, like crossing their arms, not very happy with, 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 with what was happening. Not very indicative of a Trump led meeting <laughs> like get together. So, um, why do you think he was taking that approach? So first of all, Trump has flip flopped on a couple of issues before. Mm-hmm. Why, why now? What is he doing? What's he doing this for? Is this to appease people? Is this actually part of an agenda he believes will lead to a more prosperous America? Where's his head at? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I don't know what he's trying to do with it. I do think we mentioned earlier that he is he really is a performer. And when he yep. performs, he really is going for the I feel like he's a lot of times performing for his current audience. Mm-hmm. So if he's at a big rally in West Virginia, he's going to talk differently than if he's at, you know, a meeting with a bunch of Democrats. Yeah. And I think I think he, any good orator note, you know, the first rule of oration is know your audience. <clears throat> yeah, so I really think um, his big thing was maybe that he doesn't necessarily agree with all the things that the Democrats are saying out mm-hmm. or that we're throwing out there. But I think because uh, he, they were a lot of Democrats in that meeting, he was trying to pl- play to his audience and he was trying to make both the Republicans and the Democrats in that meeting happy. So he was saying some of the things that Democrats wanted to hear, but it kind of strikes me as weird because he wasn't saying a lot of things that the Republicans in that meeting who also were his audience, you know, he didn't say a lot of things that they were into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So reacting to the shootings that happened on Valentine's day, immediately he has to, you know, defend the NRA, defend everything, make sure that everything that the public is talking about is kind of kept controlled, puts a lot of attention towards his first meeting in which was, you know, really crazy uh, with a lot of the uh, left, left side people speaking out and shouting things at him and, um, you know, threatening the NRA member that came to the, to the meeting, um, and so, you know, this is his recourse and saying, okay, how do we reconcile? And I think just in general public, he's great at having presence with the general public. And I think that's what he's trying to do here is he's trying to get in front of the entirety of the U.S. So we brought both sides together. He did a good job of making this a bipartisan activity and meeting. And then, you know, through that, he is, we talked a little bit about the give and take last week. You know, you have to give some in certain areas to take away in other areas. And I think that's, this is kind of his ploy. This is his chess move where he's putting a pawn out there to say, okay, we're going to give these things towards, um, you know, gun law restrictions. Uh, He's making that move forward and it's becoming more publicly known that, you know, maybe he is more willing to do some of these things on the liberal agenda. And that just sounds a little bit like, um, not coercion, that's not the right word, but trying to influence, try to get on the side of some of these people on the left. Now, whether or not that, whether or not that pays off for him in a couple of months is really going to be telltale, right? Mm-hmm. Next time we vote, if more, you know, if more liberals are saying, okay, maybe this republic has some good sides, you know, he was able to reform these couple of things, that they might remember this. But that's all under the supposition that within the next nine months, there's not going to be another major instance that just make everybody hate him for it. Well, historically, Trump hasn't been a giant advocate of the Second Amendment. You know, he's from, 
I, I would be surprised if he had, he's ever fired a gun. He, but he talks maybe. I mean, I'm sure at some point he has, but I think maybe he's 72 or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's probably fired a gun on like th- four, three or four occasions. Like he's not a big gun guy. He's never really been a big supporter of the Second Amendment up until the point where he decided that he was going to run for the Republican nomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that he was in the meeting. It seemed a lot. It seemed like he was way too open to the idea of radical gun reform. There were some proposals put forward that uh, some bills that were talked about that were much more liberal than I think he actually would want. If mm-hmm. I am knowing what he actually wants as far as gun policy goes, I think, um, yeah, they, they looked, the Democrats came out of that meeting looking really happy. And if the Democrats are looking really happy after a gun control meeting, I have a, have questions about whether you're really defending the second amendment. Right. It's possible also he just said some things in that meeting that he didn't actually mean because he was confused. You know, <laughs> there has been meetings before. I'm confused. There's been, meeting, <laughs> there's been meetings before. There was a meeting on immigration where Donald Trump was trying to, uh, he was basically the same thing. They were talking immigration. It was liberal politicians and Republican politicians, and they were in there discussing. And he was trying to come up with an agreement, and he said things that were far more liberal than what he actually meant. And Republicans from Congress in that meeting actually had to be like, Mr. President, I'm sorry, like that's not actually what we stand for. And Donald Trump didn't realize that he was saying something he didn't actually believe in. Hmm. So it's possible that was the issue. But I think he might just be a little more liberal on guns than people actually realize. That astounds me that somebody who's in the position to represent the United States as a whole can make mistakes on where he stands. Mm-hmm. That seems uh, very puppet-like. Yeah. You know, it, it's... I understand, like, don't get me wrong. I don't think anybody can know everything about all of these issues, and it's a lot of responsibility to even suggest that a person should be able to know all of these things. But good grief, man. Put yourself together, you know, at least a little bit before you go out there and say all of these radical things. And if you don't know what you're talking about... This man is very good at saying nothing for a long time. Someone in the meeting basically said, they put it forward, they were like, I think a part of the proposal should be a ban on assault rifles. And Donald Trump was like, let's talk about it. It's a possibility. And I'm just like, that's not, that's not okay. Because it's, <laughs> it, what, be, what makes an assault rifle an assault rifle is very specific. It's like, you can make a, it's basically the rifles that look scary. If you put a certain type of style of grip or a certain style of barrel on, yeah. a, on a rifle, yeah. it basically turns it from a rifle to an assault rifle. Yep. It really doesn't make any big of a difference, but it's a kind of an arbitrary, arbitrary signifier, which right. kind of makes me mad. But he, he said that, and that was concerning. But the thing he said in the meeting that made me most concerned, when he was talking about the Parkland shooter, he was talking about, hey, some people have guns that shouldn't have guns. Sometimes the the U.S. Constitution and U.S. laws make it too difficult for us to take guns away from people. Mm-hmm. It's possible we need to put off due process and take people's guns right away and then put and do, do, go through due process later to make sure bad people don't have guns. I'm sorry, Mr. President, but that's not what due process is. That's not how that's <laughs> not how opposite of due that's process. not how due process works. Yeah. What due process means is that you're going to go through our government's legal requirements before your rights can be taken away based on horrible things that you've done as a person or based on things you might do as a person. It's guilty until proven innocent, right? That, that's, that's how that works. That, mm. I think that's. I think it was. Cha- I think it was changed recently. Maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just updated so frequently. But it is super. Obviously, doing this with like, taking guns away without mm-hmm. due process, it's it's unconstitutional. It's illegal. Yeah. It's kind of tyrannical in a way. It's it's very radical position for him to hold. And you could literally just. I could literally just be like, yeah, my next door, next my next door neighbor. 
They, yeah, they're crazy. They're a crazy person. You need to come take their guns away. Guns gone. And the, Three days and later, the cops, you might get them back. The cops should pull up, say, hey, we've had a, a, a report. We mm-hmm. need to take your guns away, and we might even arrest you because we want to. And then later on, we're going to actually try you and see if you're if you've done anything bad that results that makes you worthy of having your guns taken away right that's not what we want and, and then the th- department's going to have a quota of guns that they need to take every week right they would they would <laughs> and well we that t- sounds exactly like the ss in germany that sounds exactly like the, gu- the gulag in russia it does and as that's soon why as you start putting those things in place this turns into and that's why i said people it's killing each other and that's why i said it's very tyrannical and the whole point absolutely of, the whole point of the second amendment is to make sure that the government's not doing crap like that yeah these are literal literal breadcrumbs towards socialism and the death of millions of people fascism as well Pence uh, in the meeting, the vice president Pence was in the meeting and he mentioned the, the gun violence restraining orders, which I mentioned, I believe it was the last episode where someone very close to a, a person, like let's say a, a really close friend, a family member, a spouse, a girlfriend, someone you live with, that's basically what it classifies it, mm-hmm. can basically report you to the cops and say, hey, I'm worried about this person. I think they're going to be, they have, there's a lot of red flags and they yeah. might, they might do something crazy with guns. Yeah. And you can basically have a restraining order filed against them. And basically, the, there's two like sides of this. There's two routes you can go. You basically have the guns taken away immediately, and there's a 72 hour for 72 hours. It's temporary. Mm-hmm. And in those 72 hours, the people who think the gun should be taken away present their case to a judge. It was why the gun should be taken away. And the person who has guns have been taken away gets to present their case to a judge as mm-hmm. why guns should not be taken away. Yeah. And there's a very uh, strict proof of, you know, burden of proof on this. Yeah. You have to really prove without a doubt that this person is either a harm to themselves or someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's due process. Or you can do it where you do the, the whole process before you do the whole hearing process with the judge before the guns are taken away, and then you can try and have the guns taken away. Right. That's due process. That's a good policy. I've said before on this program that we need to. This is a this is an, a pro, this is a policy we need to implement. This is the best thing on gun control I've heard yet. Because most cases where someone ends up being a mass shooter, someone close to them had had thoughts about it before, had thoughts that this person might engage in that mass shooting behavior. Right. They, and they, they could have yeah, had these guns. It was going to happen. Yes, and they could have had these guns taken away through that process. I think it's really important. That's and, and basically when Pence said this, Trump was like, "No, no, no, we can't wait to have that whole due process part of it because." That person might hear, oh, you're coming to take their guns away, and then they go shoot up a place. Sorry, Mr. President, this is a free country. You don't just get to take away people's rights because you want to. Right. So it sounds like between the two policies, one of them is more efficient, but it's completely tyrannical. Of course, it's completely like – so last time time we talked about that, right? I was talking about – or I made a comment where it would take a lot of work in order to – process all of these applications, right? It would take a lot of work for the person to report because they would need a lot of evidence that the person was a harm to themselves or others. But guess what? Responsibility takes a lot of work. And if you're going to take these responsible actions, you have to be able to do the legwork. Taking a tyrannical movement, or sorry, a tyrannical position where you're guilty until proven innocent, right? That's completely ass backwards and it's wrong. It makes it very easy to just go in and take things. And yes, that's efficient, but that doesn't work well. It enables people to abuse the system, to send in false reports, to take away from people who shouldn't be bothered, right? Any leftist, radical leftist who doesn't like an NRA member or somebody who spoke out publicly could then report them and have their guns taken away. And for no reason whatsoever, it's like, this just does not work in that way. It's less work, it's lazy, it's sloppy, it's tyrannical, and it's going to lead to a terrible future if you allow that to happen. Yeah, we talked, you talked about, um, like, 
the efficiency, the effectiveness of a, of a government. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the, the countries that are most effective in the, the countries that get the things done the fastest and the quickest are the dictatorships. North Korea, you get shit done real quick in that country because if you don't do what they say, they you murder die. you. Yeah. yeah. So just because something isn't getting done really quickly, it, it might mean that actually the country is more free. and they're It prote- might mean it shouldn't be And they're be done. slowing the process down in order to protect people's rights. Yeah. Uh, if don't, if uh, if Barack Obama had even mentioned, if Barack Obama had made the exact same statement that Donald Trump said, we need to consider taking away people's due process in order to take guns away. Oh, the people on the right arms. would be freaking out. They would be calling him a dictator. Mm-hmm. They would be calling for impeachment. Some people in certain states would even be saying that their state needs to secede from the union. Oh people God. people would be freaking out so much, and no one's acting like that right now because. You know, they a lot of people on the right really like Donald Trump, and people on the left, they they're not acting like it's tyrannical, which it is, because they support the policy. People on the far left, they're okay with tyrannical uh, policies and tyrannical behaviors as long as it furthers their agenda. Yeah, as long as it's inclusive. But if Obama, well, had they're done- trying to burn down. You know, I think they're trying to burn down government standards as a whole. Mm. They really, I mean, I think they see it as a hierarchy of power positions, and that these people of power are are there and they're trying to keep their power. And so I think they're just overall trying to dismantle a lot of what is our government system right now. Yeah. Which I I do want to point out. I do think it's very interesting when people talk about like the Trump administration, the Obama administration, the Bush administration, how much of that actually changes between presidencies. I know their cabinet does, but a lot of the governmental systems in place are not changing all that much. It's more of the policies that the administrations want to forward that changes. Right. The yeah. structure doesn't change at all. And oftentimes even the personnel right. doesn't and so change. So a lot of people, you know, they blame the administration about how it's organized and whether it's working or not. It's like, well, you know, this- there's a lot of people that Obama appointed who are in Trump's administration. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, these are lasting changes, but I'm saying every administration doesn't have that much change over some of these things. And to blame the administration in and of itself, that's disregarding what previous administrations have done to mess it up. And, and at the same time, you have to look at the decisions that they're making, not within their own organization, but with what they're doing to other people and to the country. Right. Right. So the policies and stuff that they're going about, I think that's very important. Another, um, dude, I couldn't agree more. Another, so you wouldn't believe it, but there was another kind of almost anti-Second Amendment policy that Trump forwarded in this uh, meeting. Someone uh, mentioned the idea of really forwarding concealed carry reciprocity. Hmm. Which basically concealed carry means you have a license for to conceal carry, mm-hmm. which means you can have a gun on your body, but it's hidden. It's concealed. Right. So you're allowed to have a gun on your waistband, but you're allowed to cover it up. There's some states that only allow open carry, which means you're allowed to carry a gun on you at all times, but it has, to, it be has shown. to be shown. Concealed carry reciprocity means, for example, we, we're in Cincinnati right now. We're yep. downtown Cincinnati. Yep. We can drive from Ohio to Kentucky to Indiana Three different states in about 30 minutes from where we are right, right now. What? But the problem is, if you have a concealed carry in Ohio, that only is legal. That only gives you that legal legality of carrying that in the state of Ohio. Hmm. So if we were to drive from Kentucky into Indiana back into Ohio in 30 minutes, if we get pulled over, we have you know concealed carry in this state of Ohio. Yeah. If we get pulled over in Kentucky or Indiana, just because we're legalized or you know legally allowed to carry mm-hmm. that in Ohio does not mean we're allowed to carry that in the other states. Gotcha. Basically, the law is if you have a concealed carry license in one state and you travel into another state, 
kind of the the rights kind of go with you. Okay. And someone mentioned that, and Trump was basically like, no, we're not going to even try to get that in the bill because it will never pass. We're not even going to look at it. Hmm. And it kind of makes me mad because if you have a marriage license, you have a license to get when you get married in the state of Ohio. That it's carries just, over. It carries over to other states. If you have a liquor license... And basically, there's no crazy differences in the legal requirements for liquor in different states. You're allowed to keep that license. That's awesome. I didn't know that. As long as you, right meet, as long as you meet up to their standards. Yeah. And uh, I don't see any reason why this shouldn't be allowed. I mean, if I'm trying to go, literally, I can get into Covington. I can get it into Kentucky in five minutes from here. Mm. I should be allowed to run over to the liquor store in Kentucky with my gun and still come back into Ohio with not having to worry about me breaking the law. Hmm. And Trump wouldn't even look at it. It's kind of sad. I want to move on, but I just want to throw out a couple stats about gun control that have come, kind of come out since the Parkland sure. shooting. Some of them are pretty concerning. 55% of all Americans uh, support a ban of all semi-automatic weapons. Hmm. A semi-automatic weapon means you pull the trigger once and one bullet comes out yep. and another bullet is chambered. Yep. A handgun. Is a semi-automatic weapon. That's that's a lot of weapons. I feel like that's most weapons. It makes up. I don't know the exact stats off the top of my head, but I want to say it's about like eighty-five percent of guns in the country. So basically, people who are proposed—that's fifty-five percent of Americans mm-hmm. that support that. The number of Democrats that support that is eighty-two percent. Wow. Um, you're basically asking for a ban of about two hundred and eighty, two hundred seventy million guns. Yep. From America, it's never going to happen. But they're trying to do it, and it's it's highly concerning. So I want to bring up an interesting point. I was talking to a retired Cincinnati Police Department officer, mm-hmm. and he was saying if there was some kind of um, mass call for you know the uh, re- not return but confiscation of guns, yeah, he was talking about the implementation on the individual level of an mm-hmm. officer. Yeah, he was saying if I was an officer and they gave out that rule, you wouldn't. I could tell you, me and all of my buddies who I used to work with, like, nah. we would. He said we would open the door, say, "Do you have guns here? Look left, look right. If they didn't see anything, they weren't taking anything." Perfect. Yeah, he said they're not searching trunks. They're not doing any of that. He's like, for one, I don't want to get shot, and for two, yeah, most police officers are going to tell you you have the right to have a gun, and you, you know, in certain instances, you should have a gun. Because most people who have guns, if you say I want your gun, they're not going to give it to you. If you try to take it, they're mm-hmm. going to battle for it. But that was a very interesting point. Was like administratively, we talk about all of these big decisions being made, but who are the people who are going to have to enforce those things? I didn't even think about that. If you ask police officers local or... Local law enforcement. Yeah, local law enforcement, um, county law enforcement, even like the, the FBI or the you know military. If you were asking these people who use guns every day for their daily functions to defend themselves to go and you know take guns or restrict guns, good luck. He, yeah. was saying, he was saying on an individual basis that would never be implemented. And we, you would never be able to get police officers to do that. Never. And we talked about it earlier about how... You know, Australia banned all guns, and they asked mm-hmm. for all guns to be returned. They, they basically wanted to do a mass back. confiscation. They, get close they to got they, two thirds of they only got one third of all the guns. Right, two thirds of people said they're they're keeping them. And it's in, amazing in America, that it would be, the numbers would be higher. Right, and uh, so yeah, it's it's crazy. You would never be able to implement it. And twenty six percent of all America twenty sorry twenty six percent of Americans support the ban of all guns, not just. Semi-automatic. Any gun in America should be taken away. 26% of Americans think that. So I have thoughts on this. 50% of all Democrats, they're literally the party is split. 50-50. Think, 50 say we got to ban all guns, and 50 say no, we got to have some like guns allowed. In, in In a perfect society, which is absolutely unattainable, there either has to be 
nobody with a gun or everybody with a gun. And we are so far past nobody having a gun yeah. that there's just no point. Mm-hmm. And even if nobody had a gun, somebody would have a knife. So it would be something else, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, you know, Trump said a lot of things on guns that I'm really upset with and I don't agree with. None of it's going to happen. The, the House is controlled by Republicans. The Senate is controlled by Republicans. No matter what Trump wants, though the House and the Senate are never going to vote yes on a bill that would in any way severely restrict gun rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, con- the concern is the uh, 2018, the midterm elections are in like nine months, mm. eight, eight and a half months. Yep. And um, we're gonna, we could talk about it maybe a little bit later if we have time. Sure. But look, I, it's very possible that Democrats are going to take back control of the House. Mm-hmm. And if they vote to re- you know, radically restrict gun ownership and Trump's the president still, I don't, know if, it might I don't know if he'll vote, if veto it. He could sign it. Yep. So it's very concerning. Yeah. That's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about the White House chaos a little bit? Yeah, let's talk about that next. Oh, man. So something that the Trump administration has been really good at is getting people who are in the administration to leave. <laughs> Super good at it. Yeah, they're really good at it. Uh, the turnover rate is really high. It's really concerning. They should work with FIFA. <laughs> Get some oh people to God. leave there. <laughs> I can't think of a worse organization. <laughs> we'll have to do an episode just on FIFA. Maybe the NCAA. Maybe if I cared. Yeah. I really just, don't like the NCAA. We, got to, we could talk about both of them. Yeah. I actually had some things I wanted to say about the NCAA, but I just had so much other stuff going on this week. I was like, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to get it in. Yeah. Some Pretty, other time. We'll, we'll, we'll get to them. We'll do an episode on corrupt organizations. Exactly. The, uh, it's funny, though. The, uh, the, the turnover of people in the, the Trump administration, the... Like if you look at just the first year, yeah, the number of people who left the Trump administration within the first year is double of any other president. So like the for next their entire term for their for the <laughs> no no for the first year. Oh okay. So if you look at any other president in the history, like the, the the one who comes in second as far as the most people to leave in the first year, Trump doubled that number. Hmm. So there's a lot of turnover. This week has gotten really bad. It looks like Hope Hicks is going to leave. She's the director of communications. Jared Kushner, who is Trump's son-in-law and who is also a major, he's like senior advisor to the president. He mm-hmm. just got his top secret security clearance revoked. Uh, let's see, H.R. McMaster, who is. Uh, Crap, I can't remember his exact position. He's a high-ranking member of the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Something to do with the def- defense, uh, something with the military. I can't remember off the top okay. of my head. He's, there, there's talks that he's on the ropes. And uh, I think it, these – and uh, we also mentioned Gary Cohn earlier, who's one of top right. Trump – Trump's top economic advisors, and he's saying he's going to resign if Trump does the tariffs. So right. these are all people very close to Trump. They're all talking like they're going to leave or that they might be fired. Uh, why? Why have, why have all these people Each left? of them... So is, these, so it's always been bad. The reason I really want to bring up now is because these people are so important and so um, essential to kind of what Trump's been doing. Mm-hmm. Kushner, for example, they all have their own reasons. It's amazing that Trump can get anything done in the first place with all of these people leaving. Just think about how much more work he would get done if this crap wasn't happening. Right, if he actually had people around him. Is that his fault? Is he unable to put competent people in the right spot? Or is he just infuriating to work with and non-compliant? I think it's a combination. I, I think, think so, so too. I think he makes things too chaotic and it makes it... First off, working a job in the White House is... The turnover rate's very high to begin oh, with. It's super stressful. It's it a super stressful job. You have to work like 19 hours a day. Like, it's crazy. It's tough. And uh, the turnover rate's already high. But with how chaotic Trump is, I think it makes it a little harder. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's start with Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law. Yep. Uh, so John Kelly, the chief of staff, he basically temporarily stripped all staffers 
uh, with interim top sec- top secret security clearance. They, he stripped all of the staffers with that level of security clearance from that with from that security clearance. About and there's rumors that that's so that they couldn't find evidence about interactions with Russia. Correct? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that's. I don't think it plays a role. I think he wants to do it. It's be- just a rumor. I think he wants to do it because there's people with top secret security clearance he doesn't think should have it. Hmm. Okay. So a lot of people are saying it's a cover up of the Kush because they're basically saying like he they really just wanted to take Kushner's status away. Yeah. And so they did it from a, for a bunch of people. So like it would be like oh no so they we just kind of blanket we termed it exactly. to make it yeah we weren't just doing it to him we did it to a bunch of people so gotcha. who knows the reason so they basically had a temporary status for him because Kushner has not passed his FBI background check yet his his background check for like security clearance how do you. <laughs> And he's been in the White House all this time. How he in the hasn't, world do you he, get away with that? Dude, I, it shouldn't be happening. The reason it hasn't passed, though, is because he's a part of the... He's a high priority in the, the Russia Mueller investigation, right. Mueller investigation. Right. And because he's been investigated by the FBI for possible crimes, which we don't know if he did or not, but right. because he's been investigated by the FBI, the FBI cannot clear him for top secret security clearance. Well, that makes sense. If you're being investigated, they... Well... Yeah, that is interesting. Could, should, would they be able to clear him based on no previous offense? Or, well, it seems the policy is to wait until to see if he's guilty or not guilty of this. I, I think Trump could circumvent the whole process. and he, Trump, Trump could circumvent the whole process mm-hmm. and just say, I'm and president, give I'm giving him clearance. Yeah. I can make declassify anything, any amount of information to anyone. Yep. I can take something that's top secret and make it so everyone in the country can see it. Yep. Or I can make it so just a certain people can see it. Mm-hmm. So he can do that. That doesn't necessarily mean it's right, but he, based on our constitution and the way our, our government works, he has the ability to do that. Mm. And depending on how things go, depending whether he just gets fed up and tired with it, I think he, he might, he will do that. I think he might do that. Hmm. And, uh, it, it bothers me that Trump has censorship over what I might see. That's just, it, it's not just Trump. It's any president. Right. It it, it, first off, the, it's the intelligence community that decides what's secret and top secret, not you know they decide yeah. what. You, yep. But then Trump, the president, can then can declassify things if he wants mm-hmm. to. Uh, but you can't say. Th- I mean, the media is really playing this off as yeah, his clearance has been downgraded because he's guilty as far as any kind of collusion with Russia. That's what they, the liberal media has really been pushing. Hmm. There's not necessarily ev- evidence to to kind of support that. I think it is ridiculous to suggest that anyone who hasn't been cleared by the FBI is doing something sketchy or something that's crazy. Uh, one of Obama's actually top national security and foreign policy advisors, Ben Rhodes, yep. he couldn't get, he couldn't pass the FBI security clearance, and he was a major player in the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. He was actually the architect of the Iran deal, where we Obama basically decided we're going to give a hundred billion dollars to Iran, a country that hates us and wants to kill us, and a country who is the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world. He gave them a hundred billion dollars, and Ben Rhodes, a guy who couldn't pass the FBI security clearance, was the guy who made that deal. He <laughs> called, yeah, so in Obama, just like I said Trump might do, Obama circumvented the whole process and got the guy clearance even though the FBI wouldn't do it. Hmm. No one in the media talked about it when that happened. They didn't care because it's Obama. But now that it's Trump and it's Jared Kushner, they're blowing it up like it's the, you know. Yeah, it's huge. The end all, the be all, end all. It's crazy. But I, I will admit there are some sketchy behaviors going on with Kushner and some of his business, his family's business dealings. He, um, oh God, it's kind of hard to believe. A lot of people are claiming that um, he's been influenced by foreign companies and even foreign governments. He, yeah, he yep. met he met with um, he met with a couple business people, and then shortly after his meetings, his family's business was given large sums of money. He met with this uh, Apollo Apollo. Uh, I can't remember the full name of the 
group. Some kind of Apollo. The name of the, the, the business was like Apollo or something. Mm-hmm. They gave Kushner's family a $185 million loan right after they met him. He met just a couple days. He met with him just a couple days after he lost his security clearance. Uh, he, he met with Citigroup and they gave his business, his family's business, $325 million. We don't know that Kushner's is actually providing favors for them in exchange for this money, but it looks sketchy. It looks possible. Yeah, it looks bad. Where are these companies based out of? Um, oh, that's a good question. I think there's based out of there's some there's somewhere in Europe. I'm not sure. Okay, so European countries are giving the United States representative huge sums of money for his. This is a privately owned business. Yeah, it's a his it's, family's it's a privately real, it's owned a business. Real, it's a privately owned business. It's a very big business. It's a, like a real estate business, but they've been mm-hmm. struggling a little bit. Yep. they have a bunch of big properties that they purchased that are doing really poorly. Yeah, and they kind of need investments in it. Yeah, so I've heard about, I think it was the same guy, Kushner, whose his father was really big in retail, who gave him tons and tons of money right out of college to buy certain properties that he knew were going down. And then, you know, encouraged his son to, to use that money to buy out these properties to um, kind of renovate them and then sell these properties back. And he made just a killing out of that. And out of that, um, got a reputation as a real estate person. And was considered to have really big business savvy. And that's how he got into Trump's administration in the first place was under that assumption. Not to mention that they, I'm pretty sure they were family friends to begin with, the Trump family and the Kushners. Um, well, I mean, Jared Kushner is married to his Trump's daughter. Right. So obviously right. their families are close. Right. But yeah, they're. Um, but that's like the history the, of how those two, you know, kind of came together and, you know, became known to each other. Right. And, and the, the company that these big donations or loans, I guess they call them loans, have gone to, uh, you know, the, the, it is his dad's company, like you mentioned, and it's a real estate company. And he has properties. He has a, a property. I believe it's somewhere in, New, in Manhattan. It's like a, it's a big condo housing project that they spent. I think he, doubled, he like paid double what he should have for it. Hmm. The address is 666. <laughs> Which kind of cracks me up. Uh, no one's buying the, the the property. They're they're really doing poorly. So they they, and I have to admit, I mean the Kushner. It's a the Kushner family company is a huge conglomerate. Mm-hmm. They way bigger than any of the companies that Trump ran than than Trump's company. Um, I think they have like an annual profit of like 15 14 billion dollars or something. It's a huge company. So these 186, you know, this 500 million dollar loan. It's not a huge number compared to what the company kind of is worth or what the company makes. Right. It's still a big loan, and it's still it's still very uh, concerning to me. Anytime I see five hundred million dollars go to somebody or their company, and then immediately they're under investigation, that's so. I mean, that's just cliche. Like, mm-hmm. okay, what's happening? <laughs> Or so, do they just investigate every time mm-hmm. that there's an interaction like of that large of a number? Well, he was his clearance was revoked, and, and then he met with the companies, and then they they gave the donations. I believe is the series of events. It looks, it look, doesn't look great. Yeah. So Ho- conspiracy theorist me is thinking, okay, he found some classified information that gave him the scoop on something, asked for this huge amount of money because he knew that there was a solid investment, and now he might be in trouble for doing so. That's what it looks like. And that's a very reasonable take on the whole situation. I think so. I just don't know that it's true. We're going to find out. We will. Pending the FBI investigation. We'll find out a lot of stuff, I think. Uh, (laughs) Hope Hicks, director of communications, is uh, resigning. Uh, It's a big blow to the White House because she's actually one of Trump's uh, most trusted and loyal advisors. Mm -hmm. She's a 
Uh, extremely intelligent, really classy. She's really cool under pressure. Everyone that has ever really interacted with her has had really positive things to say. Hmm. She was a really, very important part of, of that administration. So a lot of people actually refer to her as the Trump whisperer. Like she's one of the few people who can actually just get in there and like tell him how it is. Like he's like just like talk to him, like talk crap, like whatever. Like she's yeah. she really is good at communicating with him, understanding mm. him, interacting with him. Right on. So it's really bad that they're they're leaving. I think she she might be leaving because she needs a big payday. She's been super stressed. She wants out because she it's been really stressful and she's not making any money and she's she knows she can go make a million dollars a year five blocks down the street she's at probably a, selling books telling the story about how she did it yeah but even just as like a, there are different uh, like K Street jobs she could get from maybe making a hundred a year just kind of being like a lobbyist but hmm. I think she needs money because uh, she's not necessarily guilty but she's involved in the the Mueller investigation they said anyone who's involved in the Mueller investigation if you're even just being brought in for questioning. Like you might not even be guilty, but they might be questioning you to try and get someone else. Mm -hmm. They say a call from the Mueller investigation is a $50,000 call. Oh my God. Because you have to hire like the highest end lawyers to go defend yourself while you're doing this. Because if you say something that's not true to them, you say something that's wrong to them, they can lock you up. Hmm. And there's a lot of pressure And you know, she's involved in that investigation and she's had recent testimony. Um, so I don't know if she's leaving for that reason, but it's possible. And I do think she she has been planning to leave. Apparently, the New York Times is reporting she's been planning to leave for weeks. And it might not be because of the investigation or any kind of pressure like that. She might just want out, too stressed, want some money. It's hard to say what exactly is causing it. But the point is, she wants out and she was important to Trump. And as he lose, loses more and more close advisors, I'm worried what his behavior is going to be like. Yeah, he's becoming less capable of handling chaotic situations. Yeah. Well, even any situation, let alone chaotic situations like, you know, what we saw two weeks ago. If he already doesn't know what to say or what to do, and he's assuming the wrong position from his party, and all of these key people are going to be leaving, especially, you know, key communication staff, that mm -hmm. sucks. That's really bad. Yeah. And then also uh, Jeff Sessions. We talked about Gary Cohn. His top economic advisor might leave because of the tariff, the tariffs, and he, right. he thinks it's really he bad. So he might. He doesn't want that to happen. So he might leave as well. That's another person who's leaving. And then also his attorney general, the highest law enforcement officer in the country. All week Trump has been attacking him, uh, berating him on Twitter. I don't understand why he's doing this. Basically, Donald Trump wants to have an investigation into whether. Uh, sketchy practices were used. So someone in the Trump administration, or sorry, someone in the Trump campaign, when Trump was campaigning to be president, supposedly maybe did some sketchy stuff. Hmm. So, or sorry, I should so I should say, someone who was in the Trump campaign was investigated by the U.S. government for possibly doing some sketchy stuff. Okay. There's the possibility that some sketchy means were used to spy on that person. Hmm. So I'm not going to get into the whole FISA issue but basically sounds like he said she said stuff yeah there's an accusation isn't this what people are afraid of in the first place that if you accuse somebody that they're automatically guilty right like, and they're just doing it back and forth to each other yeah so there's accusations that the hillary clinton campaign worked with the obama administration to basically open up an investigation into the trump campaign mm -hmm. based off faulty documents based off false documents in order just to try and pick dig up dirt to illegally dig up dirt on donald trump right so that that's a whole different thing but we're not going to get into that today we could have a whole discussion about the whole yeah. episode about that but apparently apparently donald trump wants an investigation ran into looking into that his attorney general jeff sessions who runs the justice department is saying we can't as the lead of the Justice Department, I can't do an investigation into the Justice Department because hmm. it wouldn't look 
above board. Yeah, there's too much bias. So, An outside organization has to yes, come in and, exactly. and conduct that investigation. So he's tr- so the that's basically what Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, has said. What you just said. Yeah. Someone. So they're getting someone one unbiased. They're going to get this. The I believe it's the. Um, that's the IG. It's the Inspector General, I think, hmm. um, to look into it, and they're going awesome to they're gonna, they're gonna do the invest. And they're going to do the investigation, yeah. and uh, Trump's like basically yelling at Jeff Sessions for not doing it himself, attacking him. They're going, and they literally are tweeting back, and they got into it like a Twitter fight. Oh God! And it's like Trump's his boss. If Trump has something with a problem with something he's doing, he can call him up. He can say it privately. Yeah. He can fire him even if he wants. He can make some changes. They're not going to do that because Trump just wants to attack the guy and not really do anything. And I, you know, I don't want to talk much more about it, but it's just like he, this is just like the cherry on the cake, the cherry on the Sunday of the bad crap that Trump has gotten into this week. Right. That's astounding to me that he wouldn't have more presence of mind to. I mean, I don't know because like, is it going to have more weight on the professional if he tweets it and the world sees a tweet, or you know, if people don't take Trump seriously as a person, if he calls him up and says this then the guy might just blow him off. Mm-hmm. But when the entire public is seeing the stuff that's coming at him, I feel like that creates you know, more weight than, than Trump might have, which actually makes me kind of feel bad for Trump as an individual if people don't take him seriously, that he has to feel like, he feels like he has to use social media to get his point across. That, that really sucks. Yeah. That, that's a sad individual right there. <clears throat> Agreed. So do you want to... Segue into Jordan Peterson stuff. I, I really want to, yeah, I really do. I know you're really passionate about it. You're really into it. I really mm-hmm. want to to talk about Jordan Peterson as well. Uh, I was hoping to be able to pull up the actual 12 rules. To get like a hard copy of it. So yeah. I can see them. Well, I have the book in my backpack if you want to see it. Do you want to go grab that? Yeah, sure. Because I'm looking and it's, I'm having trouble finding online this. I just want a list of the 12 rules. Yeah. Because I do think they are... I mean, oh, here I go. I actually just got it. Okay. But that's perfect. Um, Because I've listened to Jordan. Jordan Peterson has really gotten popular lately. Yeah, huge. And he has said some things that I found extremely motivational. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's gotten me fired up just by listening to some of the things he said in interviews. Yeah. And he's taken a lot of, a lot of, uh, Harsh criticism from the left. I'm not, I'm not sure it's. I'm not sure it's called for. That fair. man is under fire. He's a rock, though. He's holding real steady. Mm-hmm. Um, um, do you want to kind of get some thoughts on it? Yeah. So I've been listening to him over the last several months, um, and he has an awesome podcast. It's just the Jordan B. Peterson podcast. Yeah, I originally got into it because he was talking about the psychological, the fundamental psychology, human psychology about. Uh, ancient stories and it really resonated with me about you know not looking at uh, he, there, there are major the old ancient uh, religions mm-hmm. so I know Hinduism is one of them and um, he talks about Taoism a lot he talks about um, early Christianity um, and he talks about some of the early stories about Islam and Mesopotamian um, old religion and he talks about how these stories, you know, not looked at chronologically, but looked at psychologically about what they're telling about humans really reveals a lot about the human psyche, a lot about understanding ourselves um, as nature's beings, right? And he reverts a lot through um, evolution and how understanding human motivation through evolution really matters. Because although we think we're super sophisticated with all of our technology, even as a species, comparatively, we're not that old. Right. Okay, so that's that was really interesting and in how I got into him. Now, 
what he's saying is and talking about socialism and showing examples about how in today's world we're reverting towards this socialist aspect and he compares it and he shows examples about um a lot of a lot of Russia, the Russian Gulag. He talks a lot about the processes that led up to 66 million people dying, mm-hmm. and he he shows that some of the ways that we're thinking about the world now and ways that we think we're helping ourselves are actually leading us to an that, instance like that. Yeah, yeah. and. I, I've said it a couple times during this podcast about how some things are looking to be socialist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about being guilty and then having to be, prove yourself innocent. Yeah. And we talked about with gun confiscation, it's very efficient to take these things. Well, it's very efficient to kill somebody and take all their stuff if you're trying to profit. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's eventually where this gets to. Right. right. So one of the things that he's talked about. He encourages a lot of people to read the Gulag Archipelago, which yeah. is which is a. Um, it's a narrative, but also the um, personal recountants of somebody who went through all of those hard labor camps in Russia that literally worked people to death. Mm-hmm. And it took me it took me forever to get into the book to really understand it because it's just miserable. It's an awful thing to read. Yeah. I was 261 pages in, and I, I recognized that page. I, I, it struck me, and I said, oh, that's why I'm reading this book, is to realize what misery actually is. Um, to you know, to, to these people are questioning whether whether or not their lives mean anything. The only way that these people's lives, these millions of people's lives, mattered is if we learn from the mistakes about what their government was doing, and we don't allow that to happen again. And yeah. I cried profusely with that realization that millions of people built things during the dead of winter and froze and died and worked themselves to death just so that a couple years later what they built was actually torn down by other people who were essentially in slave camps and so what they did physically meant absolutely nothing but their suffering did not have to mean nothing Mm -hmm. okay so this is the society that we're we're taking ourselves towards is this very efficient way of you know, processing people and getting them through the system and either being guilty or not guilty, but the preference is guilty first. When I hear these things and when I hear Trump, Trump uh, support something like that, immediately having listened to Jordan Peterson um, and, and reading through his 12 rules of life and hearing about basic human psychologies and, you know, what's at the root of our being, you automatically are arming yourself to say, no, this is not what I'm about. Right. But you can't I, um, say no. You can't say no if you're not a strong person. Yeah. If if you're all about inclusiveness and you're all about making people feel as good as possible, I'm sorry, but you're probably of a weak constitution as your own person. You might not have the best ego. You might not have the best understanding of yourself. Um, and you're. It's very hard to defend against things that look good but aren't, unless you can really understand yourself and be strong and take um, a less popular position. But you need to do that because yeah. otherwise we're leaning towards something that's just going to be awful. Mm-hmm. I think for me, you mentioned uh, at the end there kind of that you were worried about some of the things Donald Trump was recently saying. Yeah. Uh, I think it, some of the things he said in the last week that we discussed earlier is for sure concerning on this, on this, fr- on this matter, on this front. But for me, it usually is my fears in this issue usually manifests with uh, fear of the, of the left, far left. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he one of the ways Jordan Peterson really got famous was his criticisms of the Canadian bill C16 yeah uh, which basically you know real short description of it it basically says you know if you don't it's basically uh, compelled speech yeah it was, a free, it was it was an argument about free speech 
that the LGBTQ community yeah. uh, felt um, prosecuted, but no. Discriminated? Yeah, discriminated against um, by his argument. But yeah. his argument was not against them by any means. He's basically saying that you can't force people to say things they don't want to say in a right. free society. Right. Uh, it's basically, it's free speech. Yeah. Um, and the whole thing, the way it kind of shows up in this context is that people in the LGBTQ community were saying you have to called transgendered people by the pronoun that they that they identify as. Mm-hmm. And if you don't it's illegal if not you to. don't call them by the pronoun they want you to call them by, they can you can be punished by law. Mm-hmm. And he says I'm not going to support this. I'm not going to support this ideology, this method of thinking because it is tyrannical and murderous in nature and people mm-hmm. will say, "Oh my god, you're calling transgender people murderers for wanting to be called by the name they identify with." No. He's saying it's murderous in nature because this is the first steps to leading down towards what you were just describing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This kind of society where it's like we're going to imprison people who don't say the things and believe the things that we want. Yeah. And even it can get even worse than just imprisoning people that you in the, don't, in the that Russian, you don't in agree. In the Russian gulag. And that's why he's it saying was, it's murderous because that this is the foundation of what they believed in. Making people do things, believe things, and say things that you don't believe in is a is a type of policy and type of government that leads to the point where you're murdering millions, tens of millions of people to get what right. you want. Right. And it might seem like a small step. It might seem like a good thing, a good small step in the right direction. But it's not. Because if you give people the power to control you, they're going to take another one and they're going to take another one. And it's all going to be in the name of inclusiveness or you know other other things that seem like a good idea but when you give that control to other people to control what you're saying to control what you're doing eventually it becomes illegal to speak poorly about your environment or you know in, in like I was about to say in, in the Russian gulag it was illegal to say that you weren't living in a utopia and that things weren't as good as they could be and if you ever spoke badly about a politician or uh, the reigning government guess what you're off to camp and where the far left is going right now, what they're trying to move, especially in places like Canada, they're they're on the path of getting to a point where if you criticize the government for anything, they're going to imprison you, murder you, something like that. That's why he's calling this ideology, this process, murderous because it's leading towards that. So it might not even be through the government, right? So we talked about victimizer and victim. Mm-hmm. And the victims are the ones who feel like they have to have a voice and the victimizer has practically no voice because they're the evil uh, power, right? If it's mm-hmm. all just this big power struggle and nothing really matters except for power hierarchies, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what's And what's looking at the world that them? way is very dangerous. So just the world of who has power and who doesn't. Well, absolutely. Until, you know, the minority that has been uh, objectified or... Um, ostracized, right? All of these victim groups are eventually going to rise until they're the complete power, right? And then everything that you say against them, the previous victims who are now the victimizers, Mm. anything you say against them is going to be punished. And it might not be a government power. It might just be this societal group think of inclusiveness and using the right words that eventually has a tyranny over all of us. People within the society might be imposing the tyranny as opposed to the government. Right. This is all about how we treat each other. Even if you are under the worst government possible, you can still treat each other well. You know, uh, this is another thing that he talks about, um, and it's in a lot of books, is that everybody assumes in a tyrannical government there's one dictator on top who's just the worst person. 
but it's the dissemination through every chain of command on the mm-hmm. way down of yeah. people making choices for themselves, we're gonna lying let, and we're not gonna being allow honest. This to happen. Exactly, and they treat each other poorly. You always have the decision to either treat your neighbor well or yeah. to treat them poorly, and that's on you, and that's your personal responsibility. And we might, you know, your government, your society might make it easier or harder, but you know it's right. And I'm not trying to put in too selfless, selfish of a plug. But I think to prevent all this stuff, it is important to point out that the Second Amendment helps prevent a lot of this stuff. That's true. Um, do you, have you read any, or read to or read or listened to any th- information about his um, his whole kind of? He, he's talked a lot about the uh, equality of out equality of outcomes. Mm-hmm. Have you absolutely? Yeah. What do you think about all that? He brings up a good point. There, there's a lot of data and information out there about disparaging numbers against different groups. One of the ones that he is asked to speak about most frequently is the gender wage gap, yeah. where he's talking about different opportunities for men and women, mm-hmm. when actually in schools, in, in college and postgraduate school, women are doing far better, and they're opening more opportunities than women forever. Now, the outcome of that might be that eventually women are paid the same, but to say that women are paid less now is not due just because of gender. Mm-hmm. There are several different factors within, you know, that are just as important as gender or maybe more important as gender um, that determine how much a person gets paid. Mm-hmm. Like agreeableness or disagreeableness is actually a large factor um, in how much you get paid. If yeah. you're less agreeable, you're not going to take the first offer that a company gives you. You might ask for more than that just because you're more willing to disagree. And because of that, you know, that's hugely helpful. Not to mention, having worked with um, some CEOs and some startups and working on different projects with my father, I know that a lot of people are not looking for employees to sit around and just say yes to them about different ideas. People want people around them, other people around them who say no, uh, you know, who challenge your ideas. Uh, the concept of sharpening each other is hugely important. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that women can't do that, but... On, on, the, on the scale, right, wherever the bell curve lies, there are more men who of more variance. Um, well, just in general, I think men are less agreeable. But then also on the variance scale, there are some men who are so far over there that it takes a lot of weight, and that might make them super successful. Yeah. I think something that he focuses on a lot, or he's focused, at least something that really stood out to me yeah. on his focuses, he talks about a lot of people these days are saying – particularly feminists, the kind of radical feminists, yep. there are no differences. Basically a new, the new, the third wave of feminism is basically that there's no differences between men and women. And if you state that there's a difference between men and women, you're sexist. Yeah. And he basically, and you're part of the tyrannical patriarchy. Exactly. Yeah. And he talks a lot about how, uh, listen guys, they're bi- scientifically, biologically speaking, there are differences between men and women. Mm-hmm. It's just a fact. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people don't like that idea. And a lot of people don't want you to talk about that. And when it comes specifically to the gender wage gap, it's important to bring up because the gender wage gap is not a real thing. And the reason it's not a real thing is because that there are differences between men and women. 
Men and women have different interests. They're yep. into different things. Yep. Women are a lot more interested in and focus on people. Men are a lot more interested in focus on things. Mm-hmm. So how this kind of manifests in careers is that women, a lot of times, who are more concerned about people, they go into nursing a lot at a higher rate than men do. Mm-hmm. Men who are more focused on things go into engineering at a high, high a much higher rate than women. Yeah. This happens is not just for engineering and nursing, but for all careers. And a lot of times, men and women, women go into careers that pay a lot less, and men mm-hmm. go into careers that pay more because of differences in, in their interests and yeah. that results in men making more money than women in a lot of circumstances and that's why there's a difference they're not so being I, paid I feel less like, i feel like uh, a feminist is going to hear that information and they're going to say yeah but that's but because that's what society is saying like you just said it men are more interested in that and women are more interested in that but that's not Maybe. because of societal pressures. That's because that's what men and women are interested in. Right, right. So that's that's some natural physiology of the brain yeah. and how men and women's brains are, are formed differently. Women are more organizational. They also happen to like being more sociable Yeah. on average, right? Men are more industrious and a little less agreeable. Mm-hmm. And so you see highly different... Uh, interests yeah. uh, in general, right? You have mm-hmm. to look at averages here. Now, that's not to say that any one person could be a huge radical outlier. That's also completely possible. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's not to discount women's ability of doing anything. That's not to discount men's ability of doing anything. No, I know tons of guys not, who are nurses. It's not saying any, saying men and women are different from each other. It's not saying anything negative or positive about either men or women. Right. It's just saying that they are different in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting approach because they're, the, the radical left is creating all of these different groups where they're celebrating their difference, mm. and then they're obliterating difference in gender. It's like, what the hell are you doing, guys? Stick with a motive here. Yeah. Like, I don't understand that. The, um, the whole, what he really sticks with me is the equality of outcome. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to provide a perfect match on equality of outcome. Not everyone's going to have the same outcome. Michael Jordan doesn't have the same ability as I do when it comes to playing basketball. Right. So he and I are going to have different qualities of our outcomes are going to be different when it comes to playing basketball. Right. You're not going to be able to eliminate that. You're not going to be able to eliminate a quality of outcome between, let's say, looks. Well, let's let's. You're not going to be able to. If if some people are going to. If the NBA was 50% men and 50% women. Yeah. What would that look like? It wouldn't work. That would be equality of outcome. And. They would probably get less views. Not essential. Not really. It wouldn't be a quality of outcome because all the people playing in that that league, they're not all going to do the same. They're not all going to perform as well. They're not going to all do as well in that league. Oh, not at all. And you can't make it so they all do as well. Right. I would. I would. Um, I would assume that the women would be performing much poorer, poorer as compared to the guys in that league. If you're saying there needs to be perf- like 100% quality of outcome. I need to be allowed to play in the NFL because I need to be allowed to perform and have an outcome as well as all those players, even though I'm not athletically not competent as, as any of them. Yeah. And it's really important. And he talks about uh, how, you know, we want everyone to be rich in this country, mm-hmm. but it's impossible for, to make everyone rich. Everyone can't be rich. Right. So you, if you want to make as many people rich as possible, you're going to, how, what is the threshold? Like, what is the threshold of quote unquote poor people we have to have to have as many rich people as possible? Hmm. You want that number to be as low as possible. Right. To, for everyone to be well off, you want there to be as few poor people as possible. Right. But you're not going to be, compl- that number of poor people is not going to be zero. You can't make it zero. Yeah, it will never be. So we want to get it as low as possible, but the, the whole point is you're not going to have the exact same outcome for everyone, you can't. And the way to most effectively lead to our country being in the shitter is to make it so everyone has the same quality of outcome. Hmm. Because that's what socialist countries do. They make it so everyone has the same level of income. But that level of income is really, really low. Right. Every person who works 
harder is earning the same as somebody who didn't work as hard. Exactly. That's not fair at all. Yeah, there, you can't there's have some a quality. people who bust their butt every day, 24 yeah, hours a day, exactly. to make as much money as possible. And there's some people who just want to sit on the couch and right. do nothing. So you can't have a perfect quality of outcome. And you know what? And if, if that you person sit on wants the couch to sit and do there, nothing and you still have an iPhone, what the hell are you complaining about? Right. And if that person just wants to sit there and be a lazy bum and not do anything, that's their right. And if someone wants to work 24 hours a day and bust their butt and become, you know, like Jeff Bezos of Amazon or Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook and be the richest people of all time More power and, to you. and have all these big companies and work you like crazy. You should be able exactly. to. Exactly. And you're not going to be able to have the same quality of outcome because those people aren't going to work and aren't at the same level. They're not going to have the same level of intelligence. You're not going to be able to make everything the same for everyone. Right. And if you try to, you're really, it's a really quick way to ruin a society. Mm-hmm. Real quick, do you want to talk about maybe mention one or two of your favorite rules of his 12 rules? Not the rules in general. Yeah. But one of the concepts that he talks about is, well, okay, so I'm going to tie in a couple of concepts here. Um, But knowing yourself and knowing your potential evil, if you think that you're a good person and that all you do is good things and you care about other people and that's all you have to say about yourself, you don't know yourself at all. There are terrible things that you're capable of. And if you see every story and you always see yourself as the good guy and not potentially being the bad guy, uh, you're lying to yourself. And you need to you need to become a stronger person so that you can face that darkness within yourself to have that understanding. And once you realize your potential for destruction, you can realize I'm a pretty formidable person and I can use that for good or evil. And then hopefully you orient yourself towards being a good person with, you know, whatever strength you found in your darkness. And then you're a much more holistic person with a lot more understanding. Um, so that's number one is knowing yourself, which I think is an axiom of very ancient origin. And then other than that, get yourself in order. One of the things, uh, I read a different book, the, the power of habit, and I can't remember the author right now, but it talks about getting all of your habits, um, all aspects of your life aiming towards the same direction. So your job, the things you do in your free time, the friends you have, and what you spend your money on. If you can orient all of those things towards the same direction, you're going to live really well. And you're going to start seeing different aspects of your life working together. And so one of the biggest things that Jordan Peterson's, one of his famous memes right now is um, make your room. Go make your room, right? But what he's saying there is put your life in order. And, you know, using that other book's reference, get all of those different aspects of your life moving together, you know, working together, structured well, um, and clean, right? You got to clean your room. You have to be organized in your thought and where you're going next. So you have to have a plan. But once you start moving in the, in the right direction, it's harder, but at least it's worth, worth doing, you can do nothing, but it's completely unvaluable. If you work towards something, and if you work towards something really great, it's a struggle, and it's going to be hard. Yeah. You know, since since doing this over the last probably six to eight months that I've really taken hold of that, uh, I've had more challenges and more stress than I've had in a long time. And before that, it was crazy because you know, I was at work one time, and I was talking to a client, and I was like, yeah, I can't believe how unstressed I am. Like, I just feel like I haven't been stressed out in a long time. Uh, it's because I wasn't doing anything. I was literally not doing anything. It's like, well, no wonder I wasn't stressed. I'm just, you know, being okay with my surroundings and what's what. I wasn't. Right. I wasn't. Not, you got to put yourself on the edge to make right. sure you're actually. I wasn't moving. Yeah, I wasn't moving towards anything. Yeah. I wasn't oriented in any direction. I was just kind of in the middle. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way. There's just 
they just don't feel like anything's going on for yeah. him. Th- and it's funny that you touch on that because I think one of, that's the biggest thing I take away from his uh, 12 rules. The ones that re- there's a couple that really stood out to me specifically related to things going on today in our mm-hmm. society. Yeah. And the, la- the what you just bring up, I think really relates well to you. You talk about getting your house in order. Yeah. I also uh, really like the rule that's about pursuing what's so pursuing something that's meaningful. Yeah. And I think a lot of times that means what's meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. I think a big problem in our society when it comes to people being so angry, people being so pessimistic, people abusing substances like the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it comes from people not having meaning. I think it comes from people not being happy with their lives and they're not happy with their lives because they're not doing something that makes them feel worthy. They're not doing something that is helping them live up to their potential. A hundred percent. You need with that. to you nailed it on the head. You, thank you. You need to do something that gives you purpose. You need to do something that you're passionate about and that you care about. A lot of people I think are working jobs that they hate just so they can pay bills that they don't really want. They don't even need to be paying. Yeah. They don't even need things that they're paying for. And I think it, that's a, uh, and they I need for, is that Frank Sinatra um, said it's absolutely stupid. And he's got a great voice when he says it. That people will work at a job that they hate to live at a place that they don't like to provide for a life to continue of doing things that they don't like doing. Yeah. And it's asinine. And that's what it is. And that's why I'm kind of trying to start this media company as opposed to working this nine to five forever because I want to do something that I actually care about and actually I'm, it's going to bring me purpose and meaning and make me feel good about myself and about what I'm doing. Right. And, a lot of res- and if you don't do that, what happens is you end up, you, you feel empty. There's a void you have to fill. Resentful. You angry. Oh, yes. yes, that's what it is. Victimized. You have, basically have a void. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have a void that you need to fill. A lot of times it's filled with substance abuse. Mm-hmm. If it's not filled with substance abuse, it's filled with going after uh, you know trying to make fill your identity by joining some kind of group, some identity group. And yeah, I think uh, it also yes, like you said, it it brings about a lot of uh, feelings of anger and resentment. And sidebar, it'd be very interesting to see the data of how many people coming out of very liberal humanities Mm. after college resort to substance abuse. Yeah. Because based on some of the information that I'm hearing from people like Ben Shapiro and um, Jordan Peterson has commented on it also, that the liberal arts and the humanities in colleges today, especially in the U.S. is what they comment about, are just hugely bastardized and are not arming these kids to go into the world the way that they should be, you know, strong individuals who understand themselves. They're basically just tearing them down in their beliefs and telling them how to treat other people on some unfounded axioms that are closely related to socialism. Yeah. I wonder how many people are left with a void leaving college after that with little or no purpose who eventually go to substance abuse. I think that would be hugely interesting to find out. It would be interesting for some to see some research on that. It might be something we have to uh, look into. Yeah, write an article about. We can always, dude, we can do that. That excites me. I would love to do that one. You should write an article about that for Axiom News Network. <laughs> um, <laughs> the other one that really jumped out to me is very much related to what you've been just were just saying. Mm-hmm. Assume that the person you're listening to knows something you might know something that you don't. Mm-hmm. I think a big problem is that they're shutting on college campuses. They're shutting down free speech. They're shutting down dissent. They're shutting down discourse. They're shutting down people voicing separate opinions Mm -hmm. because it's like whatever they're saying is wrong. It's bigoted. I'm not going to listen to it because they don't, they couldn't possibly, someone who disagrees with me on something couldn't possibly know something that I don't know. Mm. And I really think it's a problem in our society. People are, the two sides are becoming more and more polarized Mm -hmm. because they're just shutting down what the other person's saying. They want to stay in their own echo chamber. They don't want to talk about things. They need their safe spaces. And I think really both people, people from both sides need to come together and, and talk about things. 
And uh, those are really some of the things that uh, stood and out to me. And be brave about it, rules. damn it. Be brave about talking about your opinions. Yeah. Your opinions might be wrong. My opinions might be wrong. I would love to have somebody on here argue with me and show me some truth. Yeah. But well, you have to understand, this is an argument where two sides are going to come together with some truth, and you need to be able to put your ego aside, look at facts, look at data, look at outcomes to make these decisions. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Great. Right. I just became a more truthful version of myself for that understanding that you imparted. And that's yeah. huge. Nothing is more valuable than that. Right. Uh, you want to go to final thoughts and any plugs you want to make? Uh, definitely listen to Jordan Peterson. Uh, his podcast is wonderful. I don't think that I can properly represent all of his ideas in such a short time. And so if you're interested in any of the things that you've heard, definitely look into that because he can probably say things uh, better than I can or we can. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll uh, yeah, Jordan Peterson definitely will articulate his opinions much more, you know, concisely than we will. But I think we will probably, we're going to talk about him more oh, yeah, on, absolutely. on future episodes. Well, I'm reading his book right now, so I'm going to yeah. have more things to say. I'm going to read the book as well. Anything else you want to? Anywhere you want people to find you or anything else? Final thoughts? Yeah, you can uh, Facebook me, John Kleinhens. Pretty easy to find. Um, the last name's hard to spell. K-L-E-I-N-H-E-N-Z. You can message me there, post on my wall, bring up comments that you'd like to talk about. Um, or contact me through the Axiom News Network. Awesome. Yep. Uh, we're going to have the Axiom News Network website up in the next few weeks. We're gonna have a ton of articles and a few podcast, a bunch of podcasts posted. Yeah, very exciting. And then about we're that. gonna be posting uh, daily content, multiple articles and multiple, po- and, you know, podcasts every day uh, once the site launches. And we're gonna have dissenting conversations. We're gonna have uh, articles and podcasts and speakers from both sides of the aisle. So we're gonna mm-hmm. get some into some interesting topics and some interesting debates and conversations. So I'm really excited about it. Fantastic. Um, follow, you know, friend me on Facebook. Jonathan Prophet. Uh, obviously, like the Axiom News Network Facebook page mm-hmm. and uh, follow me on Twitter at John Prof, J O N P R O F. And my final thought would be within the next probably five to six days, drink as much beer as you can. <laughs> it's going up. And if, you, if you're thinking about buying a car, you should get it soon before the next couple of days because prices of beer and car and similar products are all going to probably skyrocket really soon which is obviously really concerning <laughs> uh so if you're a beer drinker or you need a car go get it um but besides that you know things aren't they're not doing too bad Johnny. yeah <laughs>